the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Huge news earlier today. If you missed it, we will have the Doug Armstrong press conference. His media availability should be coming up very shortly. Alexander Steen calling it a career, officially deciding that he is going to retire. He suffered the back injury last season. According to the Blues, it is multiple levels of degenerative herniated discs of his lumbar spine. That is the official reason why Alexander Steen has decided to call it a career and what a career it was. 245 goals, 377 assists, 15 years in the NHL, capped off with the Stanley Cup championship in 2019. He is fourth in Blues history in games played, ninth in goals, sixth in assists, fifth in points, and probably the most impressive statistic if you asked Alexander Steen. Brett Hull and Alex Petrangelo are the only St. Louis Blues who played more playoff games with the note than Steen did. He had 91 total playoff contests. A hell of a career, a hell of a man, a hell of a way to go out. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario. Again, if you're just tuning in, we should be hearing from Doug Armstrong momentarily. We'll hear his official comments for the first time on the news of the day. Alexander Steen deciding to call it a career. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that isn't the way I guarantee you Alexander Steen was hoping his career would end, but it's one of those things that you're always going to remember Alexander Steen. And it does look like we have the Zoom conference coming up right now, so... Here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN, let's go live to Doug Armstrong right now speaking to the media about the news of the day. Alexander Steen deciding to call it a career. Here is that audio from Doug Armstrong.
try to get this pulled up here in just a moment. But Doug Armstrong is officially talking to the assembled media right now about Alexander Steen deciding to call it a career. Ferrario, do we have this pulled up? We got pulled up, but for some reason it's not uh, coming through on the audio. So right, just hang so with me for a minute. We'll try to get that here momentarily. Not a problem. Uh, it is 11.02. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Again, if you missed the news earlier today, Alexander Steen, one of... Uh, really the the first starts to what has been an unbelievable era for Doug Armstrong traded to the Blues in November of 20, 2008 played for five different head coaches over the last 12 years went to the playoffs nine times in those 12 seasons played just about every role you can and we're hearing now Doug Armstrong down at the blue with the Blues media talking about Alexander Steen calling it a career fantastic obviously no one wants to uh Everyone would like to leave the, the game on their own terms, and unfortunately, uh, Alexander's back is forcing him into retirement. Uh, so that's a, that's a difficult spot. Also, uh, myself and the Blues organization would like to congratulate Alexander and Josephine on the birth of a bouncing baby boy last night and uh, wish them nothing but the best. Uh, and with that, I'll open up to any questions you may have. What just stands out to you about Steiner's career? What he meant off the ice as well as on. Well, on the on the ice, uh, he was a player that that I think the, the management and, and coaching staff, and more importantly, his teammates knew what they were going to get on a nightly basis. Uh, you know, he didn't he didn't play a sexy game or an easy game, but he played a winning game. Uh, he was willing to sacrifice his body. Uh, you know, in his prime, he touched both ends of your special teams. A uh, player that would close games out for you uh, by blocking shots, by winning those ugly bo- uh, wall battles to secure leads. Uh, he's had some huge playoff goals for this franchise, and uh, uh, that, that's what I'll remember. You know, just the way that he, he played the game, what would be, quote-unquote, the correct way uh, every night. Uh, off the ice, uh, I think, you know, when, when he got here, uh, a little bit of a, a history. I was working for a different organization at the time, managing, and uh, our pro scout at that time told me that uh, there was two players that he really liked in Toronto, were Carla Koliakovo and Alexander Steen. And so uh, when I got here, I shared, shared that information with Larry Plo just in, in my job and player personnel. And uh, about two or three months later, Larry said, uh, I talked to Toronto, uh, I think we can make one that trade, and I said, well, which one are you going to get? And he said, both. I said, well, that's why you're the manager and I'm not, and I'm an assistant right now or player personnel. I thought Larry did a great job in bringing those two players into our organization uh, because I knew what they could do or we, we liked what they could do on the ice. And then off the ice, uh, Steiner became a... Uh, uh, the spokesman really in the locker room he matured and became uh, the voice of reason someone that uh, I could trust as a manager to get the the organizational message but more importantly uh, the coaches could trust and uh, when when I hear people that that I respect a lot that played here whether it's uh, Scotty Upshaw I heard talk about Steiner in the summer uh, Brendan Morrow, Barrett Jackman, Steve Ock guys that played with them Um, the consistent uh, response was he was the pulse of our locker room he was the one year in year out that 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 could uh, say the difficult things and I think what 
what endeared Steiner to his teammates was uh, as a 20-minute player, he did whatever he could do to give us a chance to win. And then as his career uh, extended and the injuries piled up and the ability to, to touch every aspect of our game was dwindling, he still did whatever he could do to, to win. And when you look at the, the 2019 team, uh, the sacrifices that he made from where he played maybe two years before to how he finished that year as being a, a guy that's minutes were reduced, but his responsibility had risen. And uh, so that, that that's uh, the, the things I remember about Steiner on and off the ice was what a great competitor he was on the ice, but more importantly, what a great leader he was uh, for our organization off the ice. How did that, uh, would you say that leadership uh, uh, come from? Does it just come from a player's personality? Did Steen just have it in him or? Well, I, I think part of it, Jimmy, was that you, he grew up in a hockey family. He's been immersed in the NHL uh, since his childhood. So uh, I, I think he, he understood. He saw the right way to do things and the, the wrong way to do things. And uh, he was a player that uh, I, I didn't realize this, quite honestly, till his, his, his uh, career was extended. Uh, he does a lot of things behind the scenes that I didn't know about, that other people didn't know about, uh, as far as mentoring uh, young young players, uh, holding them accountable, but also giving them a, a shoulder to cry on for for a better term, for for no better term. But uh, he would push guys to be their best. Uh, the work that I think he did, I think everyone knows what we have now in Ryan O'Reilly, the work that he does with young players on the ice after practice. Uh, Alexander was someone that I had never seen take care of his body off the ice as much. The, the, the amount of uh, his own personal finances he would put into to making sure that he had the best care, doing the most he could do to prepare himself every night. And I think that uh, that, that is trickle down into some of our players now that, that learned that this doesn't come easy. You, you don't play as long as, as Alexander did. You don't have the success just by showing up and hoping it all works out. You have to put those hours in, and those hours uh, were tedious. They were long. He put his body through a lot. Quite honestly, I was surprised last year that he, he was able to, to get through the season uh, as well as he did, missing this few numbers of games as he did. And, and when I saw him in the in the bubble, quite honestly, the the hours that he would put in with uh, with our medical staff and training staff, uh, just to give himself the hopefully the opportunity to play, and the angst he had on his face when he when he knew he couldn't play when we need when our team needed uh, needed everyone on board against Vancouver, I saw how that weighed on him, and uh, uh, that that part was difficult. Now, you could you could Randy character with one on one ESPN. Go ahead, Randy. I mean, you're describing a guy who sounds like he'd be really valuable to an organization after his playing days are over. Uh, number one, do you envision Steiner as being that sort of a guy? And number two, if you do, have you discussed that with him? Uh, no. Well, I, I, we've discussed more, more, most importantly his health right now. And, and uh, when, when the season ended, the bubble ended, uh, you know, he wanted to get back and see his children in Sweden. Uh, he got back there. He was rehabbing, you know, hoping to play. He and I had a lot of conversations on how that was coming. And, you know, I I'm thinking, you know, give it some time, he'll come back. And, and he says he can't get out of the car. He can't tie his shoes. So at that point, I understood that that we had to be understanding that sometimes, uh, you know, the, the, the clock runs out and that 
so then I wanted to work with him on, on what the next phase was. And uh, we haven't he, – he's someone I certainly could see staying in the NHL. Uh, but as I said, he, he just uh, – he and Josephine uh, just had their second child. There's a lot more to uh, life than just hockey. And I think if he wants to stay in the game, he has all the pedigree to coach, to manage, to do really whatever he wants. Jeremy, uh, a lot had to happen for you guys to win the Stanley Cup, a lot of sacrifice, but where would you rank Alexander Steen's acceptance of that limited role and kind of given that fourth line and identity, which was your team's identity in that Cup? Well, uh, if it's a percentile, I'd say it's 100%. Uh, you, you, you're only strong as your your weakest link, and, and I'm not saying that Alex was our weakest link, but he made sure that winning was more important than anything for him personally. Uh, he and I had talked about, uh, uh, I remember a conversation we had at, uh, at Starbucks once, and we had traded, uh, we had traded Paul Stastny, and uh, he felt that, we were closing the window on his chance to win a championship and he was honest he said i i have to win i want to win i i need that in my resume and I, and we said as an organization just if you can just trust the process where we we do have some ideas on how we can improve our team and and he bought into that and to buying into that we we brought in players that were going to take his ice time and and he never batted an eye on that uh, as a competitor he wanted to be out there at the end of every game as a competitor he wanted to be on the first power play as a competitor he wanted to be the guy that was playing 19 or 20 minutes a night but that never superseded his desire to be part of a championship and winning team and when you saw the sacrifices that he made that, that in 2019 allowing players like Schwartz to grow allowing players like Tarasenko to grow and, and supporting them uh, whether it was new players like Shannon O'Reilly bringing Perron back he was the voice that was telling everybody that if we all sacrifice a little we'll all have uh, a memory for a lifetime and uh, I, I'm so happy that he does have that memory that I hope uh, will last he and his teammates the lifetimes. Army, I had another. Uh, it appears after you know signing Vince Dunn at some point and Tarasenko coming back at some point, you'd have about four million in cap space. What's your outlook on the possibility of maybe signing another player a forward? What do you plan to do with what extra money you might have? Well, the positive, it doesn't have to be spent in the next 48 hours. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's, there's in-season and, and, and off-season uh, LTI, Room JR, and it's quite complicated. Uh, you know, I have Ryan Miller, who we just uh, um, made assistant general manager. That's his, his uh, field of expertise, and we're walking through all those different things, knowing now that it is a reality. Uh, but we could have some money to spend here between now and the start of, of the season when, when Alexander won LTI, or we could potentially move some money and get more money if we do it in season. So again, I don't want to get too compli too too in depth because it is complicated. But there could be an opportunity for us for for us to add players um, at either prior to the season or or into the season. No, just for just for bookkeeping purposes, you will be putting him on LTIR at the start of the season, whenever that is. Yeah, um, Tommy. What what happens there is uh, he. Ha you know, we've obviously gone through all the medical stuff with him. He's talked to our doctors. He's talked to doctors in Sweden. We've come to the conclusion that that there's nothing he's going to be able to do to get his back ready to play again. But 
we that doesn't go on until he comes in and, and he fails the medical. Uh, Vladdy will fail the medical also, meaning they're, they're not ready to, to start. And at that point, you can either put them on LTI, and that's off-season LTI, or wait and put them on in-season LTI, which clears up different cap spaces. Again, it's a it's a complicated formula, but he won't go on, on LTI either till uh, training camp and he fails the medical or into the season and, and we do it. You can't do it right now, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Doug, uh, you, you can tell up in the bubble that he just wasn't moving right. Was this something, to your knowledge, that had started with a specific incident or is just a whole career worth of wear and tear on the back? <laughs> uh, I think it's a whole, a whole career. As I said, I, I was surprised last year when I... I heard some of the things he was doing uh, off the ice to prepare to play, uh, and, th- and that was at 11 or 12 minutes a night that, that, that Craig could, uh, uh, you know, get the most out of him. And uh, he was doing a lot just 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 to to, to survive and, and, and to, to help the team any way he could. Uh, and then we got into the bubble. You could tell that there was things that he just didn't feel right. And you know, you always hope that uh, that something happens, something clicks. But when you and again, I don't want to get too deep into his own medical records. I think that's for him to talk about. But when you talk to the doctors and you, you do the MRIs, you do all the work that they do, and it comes back a certain amount of information that we were given, I, I was shocked, quite honestly, that he lasted that he how long he did. And, and that's a testament to him. But uh, I think I said maybe in the summertime where... You know, you can play a thousand games in this league uh, uh, different ways. He didn't play a thousand easy games. He played a thousand hard games, uh, and you know, the, he he did all the all the small detailed thing that that take that that increase the wear and tear in your body. That was Doug Armstrong speaking to the assembled media, of course. Uh, the official news of the day, Alexander Steen has decided to call it a career, suffered that back injury last season. He has 245 career goals. He is fourth all-time in Blues history in postseason game or third all-time, rather, in postseason games played behind only Brett Holt and Alexander Petrangelo. Again, the news of the day, Alex Steen has decided to call it a career. Plenty of reaction throughout the day. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Also, the Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. But coming up next, we got to change gears a little bit. JP Morosi, MLB Network baseball analyst, is going to hop on with us. We got a lot of questions hot stove wise to get with him, including his report yesterday on a team that could be potentially interested in Nolan Arenado. JP Morosi next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Thrilled to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. JP Morosi is an MLB Network baseball analyst. He also does a little work on the hockey side of things as well, though, for the NHL Network. They loan him over there from time to time. Joining us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. JP, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Outstanding, Alex and Brendan. Always love catching up about uh, St. Louis sports and baseball and hockey. And, and certainly, congratulations to Alex on an incredible career. I, I remember uh, uh, just uh, covering, of course, uh, the Western Conference Final a couple years ago. And, and uh, what a classy person he is, of course. Multi generational hockey family. All, all the games they played as a family uh, for him to then finally get the Stanley Cup is pretty special. So uh, I know he was a great St. Louis Blue for a very, very long time. Absolutely. We're certainly going to miss being able to watch him out on the ice every night. But he is going to, whatever he comes next for. 
for him. He's going to be successful. And JP, let's talk a little baseball because there's been a, honestly not a whole lot that has gone on <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. But you are totally head, head deep in this stuff. You had a report the other day on a potential team that could be interested in Nolan Arenado. You connected him maybe with the Mets. What can you tell us on Arenado's market? How much interest is there in him with that contract that he has right now? Well, the contract is really the the key point of the valuation because uh, to get into the specifics here, he, of course, has the opt-out after this year. Now, the Rockies uh, have to treat him in one of two ways. Either, number one, they they can't afford to lose a franchise player for nothing uh, or just a draft pick after this coming season if, in fact, he opts out. But given the uncertainty of the economy, hard to know uh, where we're at with respect to if he's actually going to want to opt out because of uh, the uncertainty about free agency a year from now. That being said, the other part of the equation is the Rockies have struggled the last couple of years, and they're in a very good division. And you start to wonder how many players can you have who are making more than $30 million a year um, and you're finishing third or fourth at best. So that's part of the other equation here is if they find a way to trade Nolan now, you both bring back some value and, and you protect against the possibility of him leaving via opt-out. And you also, very importantly, free up the money to sign Trevor Story to an extension. Of course, Story is due to be a free agent after the 2021 season. So there's a lot of motivations, not all of them proximate to Nolan Arenado. I, I think, though, that there's a small number of teams, the Mets are one of them, who appear to have the, the financial appetite to take on what could be, if he doesn't opt out, uh, a, a contract that right now has $199 million left on it. Yes, $199 million left on it through 2026. So that's a very significant contract. Uh, again, the Mets are, are a team that I believe would do that. The Cardinals, certainly you would say there's the interest and there's the, the need for one more significant hitter, but I'm just not sure if, if the financial willingness is there on the Cardinals' part. All right, JP. First of all, it's great to talk with you, buddy. Uh, I have deemed myself Mr. 95% here in St. Louis <laughs> that Nolan Arenado will some way, shape, or form be a Cardinal. We've seen the reports the last couple of days of you know Colorado might be willing to take on an existing contract from a team to offset Nolan Arenado's contract. Do you see any possibility of Arenado and the Cardinals' connection this offseason? I do. I, I really do. But, but to your point, that would have to involve the opt-out probably move, being moved back a couple years, two or three years maybe, to after 2024, let's say. And then also to your point, the Rockies probably have to take on uh, Matt Carpenter's deal and, and maybe there's another way to, to make it work. But bear in mind, if, if the Cardinals make that trade, the Rockies are going to turn around and insist on a Dylan Carlson, somebody high level, a Libertor, I mean, somebody that's, that's really up there in the organization as, as the prospect in, in that deal. It's not just going to be a, a salary dump. Even, even in these very difficult economic times, you cannot give up someone who's won the gold glove eight consecutive years at third base just as a salary dump. It really becomes difficult. So I, I do think there's interest. The Cardinals, uh, you look at the, their club, and, and certainly you watch them more closely than I do, but still uh, just watching them as much as I do, it does seem to me this team needs at least one more significant bat. That, that really they, they struggle against quality pitching. Goldschmidt has helped, but the, the revolving door in the outfield in particular um, remains a concern where, where there's been a lot of different attempts made to, to find that solidifying group, and they still haven't done it. So I think having that additional hitter in the middle part 
part of the lineup is really appealing. But you have to ask yourself the question, if, if the Rockies would insist on Carlson, I don't know that they would, but certainly they, were, they would probably ask for him at the outset. Does it make sense to subtract his bat to add Arenado's? And I think that's going to be a, a really tough question for the Cardinals to answer. I can tell you they would say no. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident in that. However, what if it was Nolan Gorman, their thir- their top third base prospect, who's a power hitter? He's not in the majors right now, but I guess that's that's maybe the question for you, JP. Is do you think that the Rockies would almost require a MLB ready prospect in return for Arenado, or do you think they would be willing to take somebody that maybe next year starts at triple a and they're a year away or two i think that it's the latter and and gorman of course uh, 20 years old now uh, he'll turn 21 in may he fits about the age profile of where the rockies would be looking and obviously this is one of the challenges of, of making a trade um in these circumstances without having minor league games to base your your assessments on from 2020, it's hard to really know exactly what value you're getting back. But Nolan Gorman's always been someone who's been very highly regarded by the industry, uh, given where he was drafted, how he has played. So I I think that especially from a positional standpoint, it, it would make sense for the Rockies to get Gorman, uh, given the fact that they would have to replace Nolan Arenado at third base at some point in the next uh, couple of years. And, and that would be, uh, it, obviously, if, if Nolan opts out, that is uh, in the case of Arenado. So I, I think Gorman fits what the Rockies would be asking for, more than likely. And now it's just a matter of, of how do the financial aspects of things work out? Are the Cardinals truly comfortable taking on the potential of a $199 million contract? That is, in, in normal economic times, that's a significant sum of money. In these times, it is potentially a franchise-changing decision. And I think the Cardinals, when you consider where they've been and, and, and the lack of a World Series, given where that standard has been set for the organization for so many years, in recent years, I, I think they probably do have that hunger, that motivation to get Arnado. The question is just, that is a lot of money, and, and how much would have to be offset for the Cardinals to feel fully comfortable making that trade? We're talking with John Morosi, one of my favorite baseball analysts on MLB Network. You can follow him on Twitter, at John Morosi. So, John, here in St. Louis, I think the free agent that everyone is concerned about right now is Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. We've heard the the reports of Yadier's side feeling that the Cardinals offer has been ridiculous. We've heard the reports that other teams have been interested in Yadier. How do you view this scenario with the Cardinals being able to bring back Yadier Molina? Well, it's certainly a no-sure thing right now, and the same is true for Wainwright. And if you had told me at the outset, again, I realize this is a very unique offseason, but if you had told me when the Cardinals played their last game that we'd be here on the 17th of December and neither player would be signed, I would have been surprised. If you had told me that on Halloween, I would have been very surprised. And I think it's indicative of the fact that that there is a pretty wide gap in in terms of the the way the Cardinals believe players should be paid right now, uh, given where both those players are in their careers and given uh, where they're coming off of from the standpoint of the the reduced revenues that all MLB teams had this year, there seems to be a real chasm between those two positions. And and this is where it's tough. Uh, The Cardinals, as you guys both know, are an organization that loves their history and celebrates it a lot. And I know Cardinal fans would love to see both Wainwright and Yachty retire as Cardinals and go into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Obviously, that's, that's what's going to happen no matter what. But do you, do you really want to hold off on the entire rest of your offseason while waiting for 
one or two year deals for players who are close to retirement. That's that's what you really have to decide here. And and sentimentality is important, and I get it. But you wonder. I would love to hear what the conversations like on on your station if Nolan is traded to the Mets in three days, and, and the answer is well. If John Mozeliak were to say, not that he would say this, but that, yeah, we liked him, but we couldn't make a deal because we're waiting on Adam and Yachty, what would the reaction be? Would the reaction be, yes, you should wait because they're icons of the franchise? No. Or, no, you got to <laughs> trade for the guy that we need. And I think that's where sentimentality is wonderful, but you can't do it all. And, and if I'm the Cardinals, and again, I'm not, I'm just an analyst, this is one person's opinion, I, I think that you, you cannot wait forever. And, and if, for whatever reason, whoever's in the right and wrong on this in terms of the, the negotiation, I have no way of knowing that, and so I can't pretend to say, well, this is what they should be doing or they should be doing. I'm just saying this. If we're in the middle of December and you have not yet made an agreement, you have to realize that you might not, and you might have to start moving on to other options, and especially if someone, uh, if the other option is Nolan Arenado, and if ownership is willing to spend for Nolan Arenado, I, I think you have to look out for the long-term interest of the organization, and as much as those two players mean to the club, if you get to October and you're out in the first round again and you're wondering, gosh, if we had Arnado, we might be in the World Series right now, I think you have to look out for those types of considerations long-term if you're the Cardinals. Last quick question for J.P. Morosi, MLB Network baseball analyst. John, one thing that I've been wondering lately, the Cardinals and the Yankees have been the standard bearers in their respective leagues. Cardinals in the National League, Yankees in the American League, and that history is very important to both of those clubs. Do you think that the Dodgers right now are potentially overtaking the Cardinals as the standard bear in the National League? It's a great question. I, I, I think that certainly the success they've had since basically the the ownership transition there when, when Mark Walter and the Magic Johnson years ago, they've been, to me, I realize just one World Series championship in that time, but they have been, to me, the the standard bearer of the last eight to nine years. I mean, they've been the, the iconic franchise of the last eight to nine years. But the beautiful thing about baseball in this country, and I speak as a fellow Midwesterner, is you almost don't have to choose the, the, the you know, regionally speaking, to me, Cubs-Cardinals is second to no one in terms of a rivalry. But, but if you if we're having this conversation in L.A., they would say, well, Dodgers, Giants. you got Red Sox, Yankees. So I, I, I think that over the last eight years, yes, the Dodgers have been the standard bearer of the National League for the last eight years. But all time, gosh, that's a, you're talking to someone whose grandfather grew up a Cardinal fan. So it's, it's hard for me to say uh, that, that is not the Cardinals right now for the long term in history of the game. He's John Morosi. You can find him on Twitter at John Morosi. His name also check him out on MLB Network. He's one of the best in the business. JP, always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and your family. Have a happy holidays. Happy holidays to you guys, and I always love talking Cardinals Blues anytime. Reach out, please. Thanks, happy absolutely. holidays, happy new year. Will do. That is J.P. Morosi here on 101 ESPN. Find it really interesting, man. There is a clear disconnect to me between nationally and locally the way that we talk about the Cardinals and their free agent or really acquisition opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody nationally has connected them, or some people nationally have connected them with some of these big-time players. Locally, we're looking at this and being like, eh, can they really bring in a $3 million outfield bat? Right. So it, it's it's a real question of can they versus will they? Can they? Yes, absolutely. They can afford to go out and do basically whatever they want to do. Right. Will they? That is a very different question, and that's the question that we are trying to answer every day on he the show. He posed the greatest question that we have to touch on again. How would Cardinals fans feel 
if Nolan Arenado goes to the Mets and then we find out that, well, we were interested, but we needed to find out with Yadi and Wayno. I will say this. John Mosellock, if we were to take him at his word, has said publicly that will not happen. He said in his Zoom call, remember last mm-hmm. week, he said, we will not miss out on other opportunities by waiting for Yadi and Wayno. That is not something we're risking. Then prove it. I, For what it's worth, if, if he were traded, Nolan Arenado, I think that that would indicate to you the Cardinals weren't interested. I think the Cardinals have what it takes to beat other offers out there. I think the Mets have other priorities other than Nolan Arenado. I think they want George Springer. I think they want to attack the free agency market before they do the trade market. They've got the opportunities out there the Cardinals do if they want to go do it. Yeah. I just don't think they want to go do it. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The news of the day is that Alexander Steen has decided to call it a career. We were talking about this earlier today, Alex. I think he was kind of the start of whatever this era of blues hockey has been. We'll explain why coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Smash back down by Petrangelo. Both Brown and Carter led the club with eight power play goals. Stop! Audio courtesy of Fox Sports Midwest, Alexander Steen with the overtime goal shorthanded the game winner. Alex Steen has officially decided to call it a career. One of the most productive Blues players of all time. Fourth in games played, ninth in goals, sixth in assists, fifth in points behind just Federko, Hull, Sutter, and Unger. An incredible career for Alex Steen. Alex, you grew up here. Yeah. You've been a fan of this team for as long as you can possibly remember. You are the pre-post and intermission host. You know Alex Dean personally. You talk with him professionally as well. Uh, you heard the news earlier today, and it's going to hit you a little differently than it does me. Mm-hmm. I've I've watched the guy play as much as I can over the last basically decade. Right. But you you grew up watching him. Mm-hmm. What was this news like for you as you heard it earlier today? You know, it, it caught me off guard because, again, this is not the way anybody wants to end their professional career being forced into retirement and Alexander Steen going through this, you know, a little backstory with that goal that we just played that was against the Kings in the playoffs, BK. And that at the time was against a powerhouse that the blues never could win games with. And if I'm not mistaken, they were down two to nothing in that series at that time. It was a power play for the Kings in overtime and Steen does the unthinkable. You heard Pang and JK on it, a shorthanded goal in overtime down a man off of Jonathan quick. But that is the player that Alexander Steen was. He was a guy that a lot of players look right now or a lot of fans look right now to Ryan O'Reilly, right? As a guy who never stops working, always on the ice, always puts everything he has into the game. Well, that's been Alexander Steen since the Blues acquired him back in 2008. And, you know, you can go through the numbers. We did the numbers earlier, and I'm sure we'll hit them again. But in almost every category in Blues franchise history, he's top 10, if not top 5. Like, he's forcing his way in to or forced his way into Petro, Hull, Federko, which is an incredible thing to say. But I went nerd out with this because, of course, it's hockey, and why wouldn't I? And I went and looked back at that draft that he was taken in 2002 he was selected by toronto 22nd overall of everyone in that draft class bk there are two players that have had arguably a better career than steen now there's a couple you can argue with me with and i'll hear it but in my opinion 
Rick Nash was probably one of the best from that draft class. And the only other player that's still playing to this day is Duncan Keith, who will overtake Alexander Steen. But the numbers for Steen being selected in that draft, he's sixth most games played in that draft behind Nash and Duncan Keith and Jay Bowmeister, a couple of other guys. He's second in points with 622. But the part that really struck me was he was the most successful 24th overall draft pick in NHL history. Interesting. Daniel Briere, who former Philadelphia Flyer and TJ Oshie are the other guys that you can put into consideration. But that's who he was growing up in St. Louis as a fan of the Blues BK. You want guys like this. The Blues have never had that Connor McDavid player, right? Like Brett Hall was the guy. Federko was the guy. But they never had the guy that everyone looks at and says, oh, this is the superstar of the team. They had a lot of them. Never had the guy. And I think that's what Alexander Steen was. He was never the guy. He was a first overall pick, our first round draft pick for Toronto. But he came to a system and meshed St. Louis into a cup contender. And I truly believe that trade acquisition by Larry Plow and Doug Armstrong is what transitioned this Blues team to a come grow with us terrible slogan for the young players being the worst team in the league to a team that essentially won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to get to because earlier today, if you missed any of it, Doug Armstrong did speak to the assembled media about the news of the day that Alexander Steen has decided to call it a career, and he made mention of the trade. He talked about how this kind of came together, and here's what Doug Armstrong had to say about what went into the decision at the time to trade for Alex Steen. A little bit of a, a history. I was working for a different organization at the time, managing, and uh, our pro scout at that time told me that uh, there was two players that he really liked in Toronto were Carla Koliakovo and Alexander Steen. And so uh, when I got here, I shared, shared that information with Larry Plo just in in my job and player personnel. And uh, about two or three months later, Larry said, uh, I talked to Toronto. Uh, I think we can make one that trade. And I said, well, which one are you going to get? And he said, both. <laughs> he was hired, Doug Armstrong was, on May 29th of 2008. The Blues traded for Alex Steen on November 24th of 2008. Now, I don't know if it... I, I don't know how the story ultimately goes, right? I don't know how much of an influence that conversation was to ultimately go acquire Alex Steen. I would imagine it was pretty significant, though, mm-hmm. because those two things seemingly go hand in hand. And by the way, Alex Steen is the quintessential Doug Armstrong player. Everything that Doug Armstrong looks for in guys, he he personifies. Alexander Steen does. He's tough as nails. The dude works his ass off. You hear unbelievable stories about how this guy would go from uh, game the night before they're playing a back to back. And then that morning slash afternoon, he's riding the bike in a way that you don't see other dudes. Like you heard Doug Armstrong earlier today saying the amount of money that Alex Steen spends on his body to make sure that he is in the right shape to be able to be at peak performance, not in a random game in January, but for when everybody else is worn down, when the playoffs come around, he can still be at the peak condition, right? That's Alex Steen. That is how you end up playing a thousand games in the NHL. The style with which Alex Steen played six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. I would also love to hear from you guys throughout the day. The Rhino shield mic drop features on the one one ESPN app. How are you going to remember the Alex Steen era? Because it is truly an era of St. Louis blues hockey. And for me, Alex kind of going back to what you said, it was the start of what ultimately became 
the Stanley Cup era of yeah. Blues hockey. Yep. Because without him, I don't think you have the rest of that success. He was one of the foundational players for what this team became. And he started with one coach, ended up going through like five other coaches before you ultimately get to the promised land. But man, he was he was one of the most significant pieces to what was the best year in the history of the St. Louis. Yeah, Blues. he was the start of this, BK. I mean, look, Larry Plow was the general manager at the time, but Doug Armstrong comes over from being an assistant GM when the Dallas Stars won the cup to being the GM for the Dallas Stars. So he comes over and he's kind of the second in command with Larry Plow, but you heard him. He brings over that information, but he's also bringing over the recipe for what he wants. Now, people will remember Doug Armstrong's first move as the GM was acquiring Yaroslav Halak because that was the hole at the time for the Blues, no goaltender. But to me, Steen and Koliakova were the start of this because you went from a group of guys that had a Keith Kachuk and Barrett Jackman. Those were the leaders. But you were transitioning into a new group with Bacchus and Oshie and Berglund and Perron and frankly Petrangelo in the next couple of years. So what Steen brought to the team was a younger player who was going to be a core piece, but a younger player who was the veteran, so to speak, kind of that bridge gap between Kachuk and Jackman and these younger players. And that was the start of this. This was the start of, for me personally, with the Blues, of we don't need a superstar to be a Stanley Cup champion team. We need a group of star players. And Steen was one of those group of star players that took a group of younger guys into a group of veterans that Doug Armstrong essentially had to move pieces around but finally found that missing puzzle piece to get to the cup. And Steen was a big part of that. He was old school, man. I think yeah. that that's, that's what you're talking about, right? Like as he, he was a younger player, but stylistically he felt like a veteran he for was, whatever he reason. Was, he was what his dad was, Thomas Steen. And that's the thing. Mm-hmm. He, he was a connection to hockey of old, right? Yeah. The stories that we all hear from Jamie rivers all the time. And he, I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this coming up at two o'clock on the fast lane. The stories that we hear about, his teammates and the way that those guys were connected to one another. They would go out to dinners after games, all these different things, right? That's not happening in every locker room now. It's not. Mm -hmm. I wish that it was, but it's different. In 2020, uh, it's the case for all of us, right? We get busy. We're so consumed with our phones, social media, all of these different things that there's a lot more. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to the um, hotel I'm going to play some video games and go to bed, yep. right? Gra- grab a couple beers on my own and, and head to bed. And I'll see you guys tomorrow morning, right? Grab coffee together or whatever. Steen was a connection to what previously was the norm across the NHL, across sports. He would gather the guys for a random dinner after a rough game be like, hey, let's put this one behind us. Let's go out to dinner. We'll grab a couple glasses or bottles of wine. We'll enjoy it. And we'll get back at it tomorrow night. Whenever we get in, get into the next game. But for yeah. right now, let's, let's put this behind us. That was Alex Steen. He had the personal side of things that he could help thing, help the guys around him uh, overcome whatever was going on personally or professionally with what was going on on the ice. I texted you last night, BK, and I don't know if we have enough time to get into it here. We might get into it later, but I, I told you he's, he's going to, The Blues are losing something with Steen that they don't have a lot of right now. And it's what you just talked about. It's old school mentality that holds players accountable. You lost Petrangelo. Petrangelo was one of those guys that stood up in the locker room after a bad game or if somebody wasn't playing well or if somebody wasn't where they needed to be, Petro would talk to him. Steen was that guy also. You, it's not that you don't have those guys. It's you have different personalities now because Shen, Schwartz, Pareko, O'Reilly, these are the leaders now. But these are also guys that, at least from the outside and what we hear, are quieter guys. So, again, we could get into this later, but 
you're losing that with Steen, and that's going to be something that the Blues will have to find with these other players if they want to continue to keep this window wide open. Yeah, it's just different, right? It's different, and there's 65780 from the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. They, he gets bottles of wine. Yeah, like that. that is something that, that these guys, they consume a lot of wine. <laughs> and, um, yeah. It is something where it is it is a bonding thing where you just go out and everybody's together. The phones are to the side. You just talk. Yep. That doesn't happen as much anymore. But with Steen, he was the old school player that wanted that. Um, So, yeah, it's something that they are going to be missing. They're going to have to find a way to be able to continue to have that. I don't know. Maybe maybe Clifford is going to be able to bring some of that to the table. I don't know. But having a teammate like Alex Steen is huge. And now he's gone and they're going to be without him. They're going to be without Bo Meester, who is a different personality, but is a leader. Nonetheless, they're going to be without Alex Petrangelo, who, again, different personality, but a really important leader, both on and off of the ice. It's going to be different for the Blues. They Mm -hmm. don't have the same leadership group that they've had in the past. And that is something that they are going to have to overcome in the 2021 season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's get into some questions and answers coming up next. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. How are you going to remember the Alex Steen era in St. Louis? We'll get to some of your Rhino Shield mic drops coming up here in a little bit. But coming up next, questions and answers on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We'll get into uh, more on Alex Steen coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, going to join us coming up in about 10 minutes. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. How are you going to remember the Alex Steen era in St. Louis? We'll get to those after Joey Vitale. But right now, let's start with this uh, from the 618. Guys, how does Steen retiring change the Blues cap space if it changes at all? So my understanding, basically, is that the Blues will have roughly $4 million in cap space after they put Alexander Steen and Vladimir Tarasenko on the long-term IR and re-sign Vince Dunn to roughly a $2.5 million contract. So after all of those moves are made and everything is official, they should have right around $4 million in cap space. Now, the question that I would have is, do you use this now on a player or do you wait see what this roster looks like find out what's going on with Vladimir Tarasenko give yourself some time there and then at the deadline whenever that ends up being add a player then for half of whatever salary would be because you're not paying for the first half you then would only have to pay for the second half of the season I wouldn't be surprised if the Blues decide to hold on to this for a little bit get some answers on what the team is right now, and then at the deadline decide to use that money towards something. Yeah, a lot of this has to do with what happens with Vince Dunn, too, because Vince Dunn's going to eat somewhere between 2 or $2.5 million when they sign him, if they sign him to that. Um, the only hesitance I would say, though, with that, BK, is if you wait, then you're waiting to find out if there's a obvious hole in your team Mm -hmm. and somebody is going to demand more from you. And the one thing that the blues don't have right now is a lot of draft pick availability to trade away because look, Corey Prodman of the athletic has talked about it. Their minor league system, although good, it's very depleted on the forward front. Like once you get Clem Costin, you don't have much. And Doug Armstrong likes those prospects. You got to flip those over. So 
He's not going to spend $4 million on a player right now. Like, don't think Mike Hoffman's going to be a blue tomorrow because of that. He's very patient. Doug Armstrong lays in the weeds for something. He's going to get the right deal. But I do think that once training camp starts, if there is an obvious hole, I would imagine the Blues would like to address it then rather than be held at a King's ransom by the trade deadline. Maybe. Who who are the guys, though, that would be available for that? Well, Hoffman's, that's, that's the tough Hoffman's part. obviously there, but the problem with Hoffman is I think you're going to have to pay him north of what you would want to. Probably north of $4 million. So you, I don't think you could afford it. Depends if he wants to go to a contender. If he wants to win and do a one-year deal, you may look at three, $4 million. There's guys out. There's not great guys out there, but I mean, you do still have an Anthony Duclair out there that might be willing to take less. Uh, Andreas Athanasius out there that might be willing to do less. The problem is these are all left wingers and you need right wingers to fill that Tarasenko hole. So I do think a lot of this is going to reside along how good is Tarasenko too. Also, and don't you want to learn about Kairou? Yeah, you, you know, if, if you mm-hmm. sign a player right now, Kyrou's going to go back down to probably the third line at best. Mm-hmm. And now you haven't learned anything about is this guy somebody that you can build around in the future? I would like to see him on that top line, even if it is only for a month or so. Right. Let's find out what he looks like there. Is he ready for this yet? Unless you sign a third line winger that gives you more depth at scoring. And that would be the way I, I don't view this as a, oh, they're going to get a top player. They're going to go get a complimentary piece that they're losing in steam that but can if help. You wait, the reason why I would wait is because if you do and you've got half of the salary remaining and you're looking at that four million, you're sign you're potentially trading for a seven, eight million dollar player because you're only getting 50% of that salary going towards your books. Yeah. So you're no longer looking at the third line wingers. Mm-hmm. You can add a really good player to this team if you wait till the deadline. I mean, Vladimir Tarasenko is $7.5 million. So that's the type of market that you could be playing in. Of course, it would also then take some compensation in terms of prospects, right. draft capital. There are other things that go into this, but if if they have it, If there is a guy that another team says, you know what, last year of his contract, getting ready to be a free agent, let's just get something for him while we can. We see those guys get traded for less than what you typically expect at a deadline. Maybe the Blues could be in on somebody like that. Especially if teams are willing to take more money off of the books in a season that they're losing money. Absolutely. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. How will you remember the Alex Steen era here in St. Louis? We'll get to some of those coming up in about 15 minutes from the mic drops. Coming up next, Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, will tell us how he remembers this era right here on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I'm already spending the Blues money. <laughs> I'm in here in the breaks, and I'm like, hey, what about this guy? Could this guy help the Blues? B- BK has officially turned into a hockey guy, quote unquote, because he's like, what about this guy? Can you acquire this guy? Can you trade for him? So we're going to have Joey Vitale, our Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. I'm going to throw a couple of uh, names his way here in just a little bit. But let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Joey Vitale right now. First, I want to reflect for a moment before we start moving forward. <laughs> let's look back at the unbelievable Blues career by Alex. Joey, first of all, thanks so much for hopping on with us today, man. You heard the news earlier today. When you think back on Alex Steen's career, what immediately comes to mind for you? Uh, Well, BK, Alex, good morning or good afternoon. Sorry. The first thing that comes to mind and the thing that will only and always come to mind 
about Alex is what an incredible person he is. And, and I mean that. And you hear guys about retirement and, you know, moving on beyond this guy and past this guy. And you always, you always say, what a good person. Yeah, he was a good player. He was a good center. He was a good defender. He was a great running back, whatever. He's a great person. You hear it all the time. But this guy really, really, truly was an exceptional, an exceptional person beyond who he was as a hockey player. That, to me, will always be his legacy. And a quick little snapshot of what kind of person, a quick little story about that sums up the character of this, this young man the Blues have now just lost, is when I was uh, temporarily laid off from the Blues, as, as well as a lot of employees were right when the pandemic hit, uh, Alex Steen called me the very next day, you know, cause he's very in tight in the loop with a lot of broadcasters and a lot of management. He understands the entire business, not just the hockey product on the ice. And I will never, ever forget the fact that he reached out to me just to call me, just to see how I'm doing uh, completely unnecessary, uh, you know, and, and it's something I'll never, ever forget. And I, I always treasure. And, and those, you talk to people who've been around the game a long time that know Alex, they will all have a story like that where Alex really touched them in a very special way. He's an incredible person. And from a leadership standpoint, uh, the blues have got big, big shoes to fill moving forward. Joe, we, uh, you and I talked with his dad, Thomas Steen on this week in hockey, uh, right after they had won the Stanley cup and everything Thomas Steen talked about sounded exactly like Alexander Steen and BK. And I talked about this a little bit ago, but Alex reminds you a lot of his dad, meaning old school hockey, doesn't he? Exactly, Alex. You took the words right out of my mouth. To me, he's one of the last of the Mohegans. What I mean by that is he's one of the last of the old-school style of players left still in this game. What does old-school style mean? Old-school style means he still wears suspenders. There's not many players that wear suspenders anymore underneath. <laughs> they pull, he pulls up his hockey pants. He puts suspenders around his shoulders. To me, that's that's old-school. Old-school <laughs> is when the game's over, he hops on the plane, he cracks open a butt heavy. That's that's old school. You know, Alexander Steen uh, being one of the last of these guys to leave, you hate seeing one more go because there is this new just wave of millennials and wave of younger players who have their art machine, have their protein shakes. They got everything dialed in completely right. But I love, I love that old school mentality. Alex Steen was the guy that when you were going to San Jose and you had a plane ride at 1 p.m. on the afternoon to get out to the West Coast, he hopped on the plane at 1 p.m. and he asked the stewardess, we're, we're, can I get six beers? Can I get six beers for me and my buddies? We're going to play some cards. And I'll never forget, we were one time, I think, in Vancouver, and we got absolutely crushed one night. I'm not talking about hockey. Oh, I'm was, talking about in the bars. Yeah. In the bars after the game, right? We got absolutely murdered. We murdered ourselves. And, and we, got it, we, were, we were stumbling in the lobby like 3 in the morning. I kid you not, at 6 a.m. I had to go down to the front desk for something. Alex Steen is like down there reading a paper in his suit about ready to have breakfast. And I just, I could not believe my eyes. And uh, talk about one-liners. Uh, I came across and I go, Steener, how are you up? He just looked at me. He paused for a moment. He said, Joey V, out with the boys, up with the men. And I'll never forget that. I, that's one of my favorite lines to this day. Out with the boys, up with the men. That's how we got to be. Did you feel like less of a hockey player with your hair all messed up, bags under your eyes, can't even stand up straight, and Steen's all proposed, ready to go play a hockey game? Dude, I'm telling you, that, that's how I felt. He made me a better man that day. I went back to my room. I got cleaned up. I said, look, look at yourself. I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, like, what are you doing right now? You know, you get, you get out with the boys, and you're still acting like a boy the next morning. That's not how this works. You act like a boy at night. You act like a man in the morning. That's how that's how this thing goes. So he, he's taught me a lot. He, he's made my transition in the broadcast booth incredible. I hated playing against him. God, he was a feisty kid with that 
missing tooth, ugly looking guy, ugly looking guy. I haven't even told it to his face. Kind of a funky looking guy. I hated playing against him. But talk about just a true spirit, a true human being at the very core, incredible character, and a huge congratulations to him. Him and his wife just uh, announced that they had their baby boy last night as well. So a lot going on. I'm sure his phone's blown up. Joe, that's what I was going to ask you. What do you remember about playing against him? Because you were in the Western Conference. You played for Arizona when he was on the Blues. And I know you guys had matchups on the ice every once in a while. Well, I chirped him a lot because when I was in Arizona, he came off a career year. That must have been, for him, that it must have been 13-14. Somewhere around there, he had a really, really good year. Okay, I think he maybe just signed an extension. So we show up the 14-15 year, and I'm my first year with the Coyotes, and he is running his mouth like crazy. He's running his mouth like crazy. You know what? It was actually my last year in Pittsburgh. So I remember Sid came back to the bench. It was like, who the F is this F and Steen guy? He scores like 15 goals, and all of a sudden he's Mary Lemieux, and he would not stop running his mouth the entire the entire game. He didn't shut up. Him and Backus were just getting under the skin of Sid so bad. And I remember Steener just he just he's got that he's got that hockey look, he's got that you know, no tooth, and he just kind of running around doing his thing. He's, he's chopping me off faceoffs, and uh, he was a pass man. I tell you, between between him and Steve Ott, you you hated going against both those guys because you knew. You knew you were in for a fight every time you stepped over the boards with them. Joe, we're talking with Joe Vitale here on 101 ESPN. Earlier today, I said I think that was kind of, he was one of the foundational pieces to ultimately what ended up being the Blue Stanley Cup run. And I think he was kind of the unofficial start of the Doug Armstrong era. Army was brought in on May 29th of 08. The Blues traded for Alex Steen on November 24th of 08. And to me, and you can tell me if you disagree with this, Joe, I feel like Alex Steen is like the personification of what Doug Armstrong wants his hockey team to look like. Uh, What do you make of that? And do you do you agree with that, that uh, in some way Steen was almost the unofficial start of the Doug Armstrong era here in St. Louis? Oh, I think so, BK. I think that's a really good way to put it. And I think that it's going to be um, a prototype of player for Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube to now continue that legacy. Who do you find to replace him? It's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, but, you know, Doug Armstrong, the style he wants to play, he wants to play that heavy in-your-face style. He wants guys to chirp. He wants guys to forecheck. He wants guys to kill penalties, block shots and be just an all-around great human being that brings a team together. You know, going back to 019, um, something, you know, people just overlook a lot as far as how the team was successful. The team was successful because they came together as a group. Craig Berube took over, and he said, guys, we got to start getting along. we got to start figuring this thing out. we got to start having second-line second guys just take, a, take a step back to humble themselves to go to a fourth-line spot, and we need to get together. Championship teams are, are, are driven through relationships, right? They're driven through how, how well guys get along. Because if you have a tight group, when things get gray, and they will get gray, trust me, things will almost get to the point of black. How tight are you? How much do you care about each other? And to me, this is something that Steiner did so well in 19. He's done so well since 08 when Doug Armstrong uh, brought him aboard. Because you, you look at how, how he has progressed as a player. You look at how he um, humbled himself in the 19, playing fourth-line minutes. And, and, you know, thinking about that 19 playoffs, you know, I talked to him once after they won the cup and it was actually, it was during that bubble time. And you know, Steiner was kind of in and out. He wasn't really playing a lot in the bubble. And he made a comment to me and, and he hasn't officially said this uh, to me, but he was kind of hinting at it. And I like to kind of get his thoughts now that he has officially retired, but he did say something to me. It, was, it really stuck out. He told me that 2019 really had an impact on his body. Um, going back from January when he, when he dropped down the fourth line, the heavy minutes he played on that fourth line and then moving that in right into the playoffs as far as having to start games, finish games, 
kill penalties, literally put his body through the ringer. At age 34, I guess that he would have been. He's not a 22-year-old spring chicken. He did this at age 34, heavy, hard hockey. He stepped over the boards, and like they said in the San Jose series, we wanted to kill him. We wanted to kill him every single shift, and by God, they absolutely did it every single shift, and he did it at the very old age of 34. Of course, that's got to take a huge, huge impact on his body. I don't know if he ever fully recovered from that, going back now into the 2020 season before the pause. You know, we always like, you know, Steiner just looks a step behind, looks a step behind. I think 19 truly took a huge, huge toll on his body, but um, it is what it is, and they're going to have to now move on without him. And it was worth it, right? He ended up getting the cup out of it, and that's that's what they all play for. And Joe, kind of as a little bit of a follow-up to that question for you, I mean, this is a guy that at one point, you mentioned the 2013-14 season, he had 33 goals the following year, 24. He was at one point probably the best player on the St. Louis Blues. And then when they win the cup, he's a fourth liner. That was a huge, huge piece to what they were trying to accomplish there. Do you think Baruby moving forward can use Steen as an example for some of these other guys to say, hey, listen, in 2019, when we won the cup, Alex Steen was willing to accept his role as a fourth line player. If Alex Steen can do that, you can do this. And he can use that as, as a little bit of an example moving forward for some of these guys. You know, I think he could be used as an example, not only for the Blues. I, I would like to say that he's going to be used as an example for every coach and GM across the National Hockey League about what he did in his career and, and his ability to recognize where the team needs him and to, and to be extremely efficient at what he does. You know, Craig Berube talks about that conversation he had with Alexander Steen. He said it was very brief. He basically said, Steener, we need an identity on this fourth line. And this is going back to December, uh, the year before they won the, uh, the year they won the cup. He said, Steener, our fourth line needs an identity. And you know what Steener said? He goes, you got it. That was it. It was that simple. And that's that old school mentality we were talking about a little bit earlier. He said, you got a coach. And he went out there and he absolutely perfected. He grabbed Barbashev. He grabbed Sunquist, And he said, boys, this, this team, if we want to go far, we got to be good. We got to be better than good. We got to be able to shut down. We got to be able to create energy. Uh, you mentioned his ability now moving forward. What does he do from here? Well, there's a couple players that he, without question, can still um, model or um, look after uh, in a sense with Oscar Sundquist. Uh, that's a player to me that has even more potential than we've seen. I was on a Zoom with Craig Verruby yesterday with some season ticket holders. And he talked about a player. Uh, some kid asked him who his favorite player was. It was kind of a funny question. And Craig Burby laughed, but he did say one thing. He said, one player that is the engine of this team, that when he's going, our team's going. And here I am thinking, like, is it Ryan O'Reilly? Is it Colt Pareko? He said, Oscar Sundquist. Oscar Sundquist is the engine of this team, quote-unquote, by Craig Berube. Well, you know what? Alexander Steen, his work here in St. Louis is not done because he has looked over uh, Oscar since he's come over from St. Louis. He is going to continue to mold Oscar into, I think, uh, an even better player than he is uh, to this point. So it, it would be uh, extreme credit to Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube to find a role for Alexander Steen. He, he's not done here in St. Louis. I know he's not playing anymore, but he is going to be a huge role this year. He's going to be around the team a whole bunch more. And Doug Armstrong, if you don't have a, if you don't have a role for him here in St. Louis, you make a role because Alexander Steen is a type of player that you want to have around over and over and over again. My biggest concern right now, guys, I'll be honest with you, I had a really nice bottle um, of olive oil that I was going to give him. Um, get this. You, you know that feeling? You know that feeling where you offer somebody something and thinking they're going to say no, but they actually take it? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, so yesterday I'm playing pickleball, pick nasty as I call it, 
uh, with Robert Bortuzzo and Steve Ott, and I brought some olive oil, okay? And it's this beautiful uh, Spanish olive oil. I got it from Digagorio's down on the hill, and I'm breaking bread. I made some great bread. We're having some olive oil after our mass, doing our thing, and Bortuzzo's is like, Boy, this is great olive oil. I said, you like that? He goes, he goes, yeah. I go, he goes, where'd you get it? I go, I get all my olive oil at Digagorio's on the hill. That's the only place I'd ever do Italian shopping is at Digagorio's on Amen. the hill. Go see, go, go see Giovanni. He's the best. <laughs> Damn right. And, 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 and Bortz goes, Bortz goes, man, this is great. I go, you want to, I can get more thinking he'd say no. He goes, really? I go, well, well yeah. He goes, okay. It's like a $70 bottle of olive oil. Uh, I'm, I'm like, bro, bro. Joe, you and I are teammates, man, on the broadcast and everything. Uh, why didn't you even think of me for that olive oil? What the hell, man? Oh, hey, I don't think of anybody. That's my olive oil. That's my olive oil. He took it. He took it. That's basically like stealing. That I was is just stealing. offering and trying to be nice, and he took me up on it. So now I have to go back to the Orioles. I got to get more olive oil because I got to put together a nice little package for steam. I'll take one, too, if you're out there, just, just because, Joe. All right, man, before we let you go, man, uh, so BK has now officially dived into hockey nerdum. He's looking at names. Oh He's looking at numbers. He's looking at no. any... <laughs> Any way possible, Joey V. BK is trying to find to upgrade this roster. BK, tell him who you got. Kyle Palmieri. Let's let's get this guy into St. Louis, Joey. It, it probably wouldn't be now, but if you look towards the trade deadline, he's a free agent at the end of this season. He's playing for New Jersey. Let's be honest. The Devil's probably not going to be cup contenders yeah, this suck. upcoming season. He's making four point six million this year. If you get him at the deadline, it'd probably be closer to two and a half ish million dollars for the Blues. They can. Take that under the cap now with what they're getting out with Alex Steen's money. What do you think about him as a potential addition at the deadline? You know, I like him. We're not going to get much faster. But what I do like about him is I think it's a pretty good price tag because he can score some goals. He can be on a power play. He can he can ratchet up some numbers. And I think he can really fill in as a top six forward. I also like the fact that um, near and towards the end of his career, or getting close to it anyway, Hungry for a cup. I think this is a guy that will go anywhere to win, and I think he would see St. Louis as a place to go and win. So maybe even take a pay cut. You know, I like him. The other one that's been floating around in my head, I, I haven't stopped thinking about, as you guys probably as well, is Mike Hoffman. Yeah, you know, yeah. I know he's still out there. You listen, I think he made five one in 2019, 2020. You know, you lose Steiner's contract, uh, so you have room to get Mike Hoffman again. Does he want to come and does he want to win? Does he want to be a part of something? I'm not sure the exact relationships he has with any of the guys on the team. That always does help, but he's still kind of flirting around there. I don't know. I kind of got, I kind of got the juices flowing. I almost wonder why the heck did Doug Armstrong make this announcement when he made it? We're we going to hear something kind of soon about Mike Hoffman or someone along those lines. I don't know, guys. It might be crazy. Joe, the good news is if we uh, bring in a good old Italian boy, Kyle Palmieri, you get another one of those olive oil baskets for yeah. him. <laughs> Yeah, you keep those Italians away from me. I, I want my olive oil. You, no, no more Italians. No more Italians. Get some Germans or, or some Austrians, or some Czech Republic. All I care. All right, Joe BK threw this name at me, and, and now I'm curious. How about Brady Kachuk? Oh, dude, dude, if Brady, if, listen, before I die, before any of us die, we will see a Kachuk in another Blues uniform. We have to, guys. I mean, we absolutely have to, and and I would not be surprised to see probably Brady heck maybe Matthew I was I know say, he let's go that, both he took that bridge deal Matthew took that bridge deal he's gonna set himself up here in the near future but Brady on the on, on the side listen I don't know how Ottawa gets rid of him I know he's very very young in his career as well but uh, I tell you what guys it is it, it is it would be something amazing to see a Brady Kachuk 
back in St. Louis, absolute horse. And my God, he wants to get out of Ottawa. How can you ever want to play in Ottawa? Especially how bad they are right now. Uh, that, that's interesting. It could be, it could be a very, very cool thing. Talk about another incredible, incredible leader and uh, someone, a young player to fill in that old school mindset, old school leadership, like Alexander, as Alexander Steen had would without question be one of the Kachuk boys. He is also 21 years old. He's a restricted free agent at the end of the season. Maybe, like you said, might not be thrilled about playing up in Ottawa anymore. I don't know. Just something to keep in mind, Joe. Just something to keep in mind. He's Joey Vitale. Always enjoy having him here on the show. Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. If you missed any of our conversation, 101ESPN.com, the 101 ESPN app. It's all brought to you by I Promise, where you can find the podcast of it. Joey, all the best to you and the fam, man. Enjoy your holidays. We will not be speaking with you next week have a happy holidays and we can't wait to talk with you again soon buddy and give me one of those dm hey, olive oil baskets i'm gonna i'm gonna get it for you hey no worries about next week you know you guys can call me call me we're out of the air bk if you just want to call and chit chat next thursday we can only do that too i i, I abs- don't don't tempt them don't say that if you don't mean it joey it's it's like your olive oil don't say it if you don't yeah. mean it. <laughs> hey that's right you don't touch my olive oil all right He's joey vitale always appreciate it joe all the best man that is Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. I'm telling you, man, they, they are going to have, I don't know who the options are going to be, right? I, I don't know if at this point last year we were going to know for sure that they were going to be able to get a guy like Scandella, right? right. At, at the at the time, he, he didn't seem like a perfect option because Jay Bomeister was on the team, right? So who knows where this season takes them? Who knows what the injury situation is going to be once they get to the deadline? But guys like Kyle Palmieri are, are certainly interesting. He would fit what they need if there is any sort of um, bad report on Vladimir Tarasenko or if they end up needing a top six forward yeah. at the deadline. And then if you if you don't go that route, Mike Hoffman does make a ton of sense. If, if they end up going now and saying, you know what, we don't want to trade any of our prospects. We don't want to trade more draft picks. We need to keep those guys cost controlled. Mike Hoffman makes a ton of sense. It's just a question of whether or not he would agree to that deal. The Kyle Palmieri is really intriguing. And again, I, this was a guy that I was high on last year before that trade deadline because he, he resembles Alexander Steen so much because he can score goals. He plays heavy. He can do whatever you need him to do. And like Joe said, this guy might want a cup. That, though, won't happen until New Jersey knows where they're at. For because sure. New Jersey, of course, thinks they can contend. Heck, everyone thinks they can contend. So you start with the available free agents. Mike Hoffman, of course, is going to be that name. You look at the speed because Joe mentioned it doesn't make you any faster, and the Blues want to get faster. Anthony Duclair makes a lot of sense for this Blues team if they can get him for the right, right price. But if he's not, that's when you start to turn your head toward those trades. And Kyle Palmieri, honestly, is the number one and should be the number one on every Blues fans list this season to upgrade this roster. Yeah, you you need somebody that can come in and score. Yeah. And they, he is a guy that and, has proven that he has the potential to do that. And bring veteran leadership into a locker room to help guys come together. You want old school? Kyle Palmieri is old school. And since he's been over with the Devils, he has five straight seasons of at least 24 goals. And that's a terrible team, five too. Years. So maybe that goes down with a good team, right? Because you've got more opportunities with the Devils yeah. to be able to score than you would here. Maybe he's a guy that on the Blues would score 15 to 20 goals. Well, that's somebody that you still need. It's more than what you need on top of if you add Tarasenko back and he's healthy. I mean, that you're, you're providing more goals. And frankly, that was more than what Steen was going to provide for you. It's 1226, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, the Yachty suitors are finally starting to show themselves. Who's the latest one? We'll tell you coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
the Yachty going back to St. Louis now. Now that the Mets went out and got McCann and the Yankees decided to tender a contract to Gary Sanchez, I just don't think he's leaving St. Louis to go any other destination than the Big Apple. I think he, he that, to me, was going to be the biggest lure to get him away. Now, to work with three great pitchers like Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin, maybe that entices him a little bit, but I still think St. Louis are bust. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Greg Amsinger on Carriker and Smallman earlier today. Does Yadier Molina to the Cardinals feel inevitable? It seems like it does to Amsinger. I think it should for you. Here's the thing, though. Earlier uh, yesterday, Robert Murray reported that the Nationals are a possibility for Yadier Molina. He added that the Yankees, Angels, and Phillies are also among the catchers that are looking at catch, or among the teams rather that are looking at catchers right now. As I kind of sift through some of these options, Ferrario, I don't think the Yankees would be a team that he would go to to play every day. Gary Sanchez, regardless of whatever people think of him right now, is going to play. He's going to get opportunities. Is Yadier Molina going to sign up for that? I think my answer would be probably not. That doesn't seem like the type of situation that he would want. The Angels aren't going to do a whole lot of winning. The Phillies still seem like their number one option for a catcher is JT Realmuto. They would like to bring him back. You don't bring in Dave Dombrowski to not sign your top free agent that's available. Right. So that leaves the Nationals. And the Cardinals, I guess he could go to Washington conceivably, but it it seems to me at this point, Ferrario, that all roads are leading back to St. Louis for Yadier Molina. I don't necessarily feel the same way about Adam Wainwright, but for Yadier Molina, I think that it is starting to trend in that direction, even though publicly it might not feel that way sometimes yeah i mean when i saw the national report yesterday i'm thinking boy i don't know if he's coming back but the more you think about it the nationals aren't any close to winning the world series than the cardinals are like i i get it i disagree look at that (laughs) disagree look at that roster though their pitching is great without question but there's reports that they might trade Scherzer this offseason, which i don't see seeing happening but silly season keep that in mind you have ren you have um, Soto, Trey Turner, you could argue is up there. But other than that, that's not much recipe for success. Bryce Harper is pretty good. Bryce Harper's not on the Nationals. He's on the Phillies. I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. You're good. No, but I mean, you have those two guys, BK. Yes, they will compete without question. Like in the yep. NL East, they're up there with the Mets as the top team. But well, I guess you get the Braves there too. But compared to the Dodgers, that's that's no different than the Cardinals right now. Turner and Soto, along with the rotation that they have, though, is better than what the Cardinals have currently in the postseason. Because we know yes. once you get to the playoffs, it becomes, at least in part, about do you have guys that other teams are afraid of? The, the Dodgers literally won the World Series because they had Mookie Betts. That was the reason that they won that World Series. I know Corey Seager was amazing. They had other guys that stepped up in a huge way. But the reason that the Rays pitched the way that they did to the Dodgers in that series was everything revolved around when is Mookie Betts coming back up to the plate. And when he does, we are switching our our, our pitcher. Right. We're making sure that our guy does not see him again. And so when you have something like that, it happened also in the Padres series. They made sure whenever they were pitching to uh, Mookie Betts, they were switching those guys out. They did not want to see They did not want him to see the same guy multiple times. Right. That's how it is whenever you're facing the Nationals with Juan Soto and Trey Turner. Those guys are special, special players. 
the Cardinals don't have a whole lot of those guys on their roster right now. Mm-hmm. They've got Paul Goldschmidt, who's amazing. He he can have the same sort of production as either Turner or Soto. Who's the second best player? Who was their other version of that? So yep. if it is about winning exclusively for Yachty, and these things are never in a vacuum, but it is if it is exclusively about the winning, I could see why he would go out to um, Washington. But if it is about something more than that, if it is about also um, the longevity of playing with one team, the emotional decisions that that all leads back towards St. Louis. For me, if Yachty's going to be anywhere but St. Louis, he's going to be overpaid for what he would get in St. Louis, right? Like Yachty's going somewhere else because they pay him more than what the Cardinals would give him. Mm-hmm. He's going to be paid a quote unquote respectable amount of money by the Cardinals if he signs here but it's going to be less than what he would get on the open market. So if the Nationals are going to do it, the Nationals have to view this as he is our best option and we're fine with spending somewhere between 10 and $15 million on this catcher. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Mike Trout plays for the A's too, right, BK? Whoa. From the 217. BK, it's all right. Bryce Harper forgot that he signed with the Phillies initially too. That's true. Technically, Bryce Harper in a press conference just decided he was going to see those those Nationals win the World Series. I don't know what just happened to me, but I'm pretty sure it's the same thing that happened to Jamie Rivers when he thought that the Toronto Blue Jays were playing down in Tampa Bay. I think it was the same thing, same situation. It's the same just, thing that happens sometimes. It's the same thing that I forgot Andy Dalton was actually a quarterback, and it's the same thing I forgot my own freaking name on an update. Yeah, we, we've all been there, hey. right? Bryce Harper, he, he once upon a time did play for the Nationals. <laughs> and, and Mike Trout never played for the A's. So yeah, totally different. Different scenario. different situation. Come on, 636. Speaking of playing for different teams, Mark Saxon had an interesting article yesterday. It is titled, After remaining status quo this winter, the Cardinals could be in position to spend big for 2022. Basically, he goes through all of the things that we have talked a million different times about, right? They have a, the Cardinals have a ton of players that are coming off of the books after the upcoming season. There is a massive free agent shortstop class that is out there. If the Cardinals end up going this route, it would make a whole lot of sense for them to be spenders in next year's free agent class. I do wonder, Alex, are Cardinals fans going to set themselves up in this situation of being disappointed if or when the Cardinals do not sign one of those big time bats next offseason, because I think, frankly, the expectation should be, unfortunately, that the Cardinals will not sign one of those shortstop in next year's class because they have almost no track record, actually, quite literally, no <laughs> track record under this front office of going out and doing that kind of spending. Not since 2014 agency. when you got Johnny Peralta, which uh, doesn't give a and lot that's of people not, hope. Th- those are not. No comparable situations right Peralta was like what four years 50 million dollars this would be closer to eight years 250 and he was the fifth best free agent on the market the same with Carlos Beltran he wasn't the best free agent available that was like if this offseason somebody were to go out and sign uh like Michael Brantley, right? It, it's that kind of a signing. The Johnny Which, Peralta it helps. one. Yeah. yeah, it helps. It's good. It's a, it, it objectively yeah. helps your team get better, but it's not in the same category. To, to answer the question, BK, I don't think the Cardinals fans are going to set themselves up for disappointment because, like you said, they know what this team is norm is, and that's just being left at the altar, saying that they were interested and in trying to make that move, and then unfortunately falling short. Like, this is different than five years ago because five years ago, I think there was still a lot of hope in Cardinals fans and, and positivity and optimism that John Moselle could get something done, but they've been, they've been stabbed in the back so many times. And that seems so brutal, but you know, for a Giancarlo Stan, which they had no control over, but for a 
Max Scherzer, for a David Price, for all of these names that have been out there, they've never gotten that done. So I think, at least for me personally, Cardinals fans are going to be protective of themselves and pessimistic no matter what. I think that is right. I do wonder, though, because if you're a Cardinals fan right now, and I'd love to hear from you, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you don't believe right now that they are going to spend big in 2021, that offseason, what's the light at the end of the tunnel right now? It's a train coming at you. The hope for this upcoming season is basically, okay, and I can buy into this plan, frankly. The hope for this year is... You find out what you have in the outfield. You find out if Paul DeYoung is actually an answer in the middle of your order. You find out what these young pitchers are going to be long-term. You get answers to a lot of the questions that we've been asking now for four or five years. You learn the answers to those questions. You use that to assess where you are as a team internally, and then you add externally to be able to make your team into the championship contender that we hear so much about as the goal for the St. Louis Cardinals. If you just do all of those things that I said at the front end, but do not add in the secondary part, the more important part of, okay, you have assessed what you have now. Now we need to go remedy this situation with the next face of the franchise, whether that be Lindor, Seager, Correa, whoever your guy is going out and making that addition. Well, then what's the light? What What is the hope? Because the other alternative would be, the Cardinals set themselves into the same cycle and go out there and sign a second tier free agent, whoever is next year's equivalent to Dexter Fowler. They re-sign some of their young guys and they go through the same cycle again. We go through the same motion. And once again, we're back on this hamster wheel of mediocrity and they're winning 85, 90 games per year. They're making it to the NLDS. The offense goes quiet and then boom, five years from now, we're still asking the question of, okay, who is the next Paul Goldschmidt? Then they go trade for him, sign him, but they're still missing that secondary bat. We can only have this conversation so many times. And right now we've been having it for seven years before the Cardinals do, I think kind of need to do something. So next year seems to be that year. And yet, if you're not willing to believe in that, if as a Cardinals fan, what is there? That is the hope for you. The hope is Carlson, Gorman, these players that we've been told are cornerstone players become cornerstone players. But the problem with that is you can't hold on to that hope either because they've been bitten Cardinals fans in the past with those as well. I mean, we talked about it yesterday, right? BK, like Carson Kelly, Andrew Kisner. They never turned into the next big thing. Piscotty, Gritchick, Arena, Voigt, like they've missed. So that's the hope. But you can't hold on to that hope just as much as you can hold on to the hope that they're going to upgrade offensively in the offseason. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. To that point, Alex, the light at the end of the tunnel for me is Nolan Gorman, Matthew Libertor, Carlson, etc. I hope we make some external moves, but I'm always more excited about the guys in our system. Also from the 636, uh, guys, the light at the end of the tunnel is 2022. It is always about 2022. Not trying to spend money whenever you need it for 2022. That's what the Cardinals need to do. I I do find it really interesting that people still are holding on to hope about Gorman being the the savior. We also got another one. I found it interesting about Albert Pujols um, from the 636. We're a second tier cycle team until we find another internal Albert Pujols. Guys, that is the exception. Finding that guy the way that the Cardinals did very rarely happens. And when you do, 
you strike gold and they they made good on it. And one of the things that I think they deserve a ton of credit for in the early 2000s is they weren't just accepting of the fact that they had Pujols. Mm -hmm. They added around him the entire time. The MV3 is not just because they had Pujols. It's because they added other pieces, right? Scott Rowland was an incredible player during those years. Jim Edmonds, like you had other guys in that lineup that stepped up in a huge way around Pujols. That should be what Goldschmidt is right now. Now, he's not an internal player, but Goldie is the guy. But you have to add around him. It can't just be him. Carlson can be a piece, but he can't be the only other guy that you believe in. It has to be more than that. There has to be other pieces around them. You have to supplement that talent with guys both internally and externally. And I think that's kind of the problem right now is the Cardinals are spending money. They are not cheap. They are not a cheap team. It's a question of can they go get that guy, the guy that is going to ultimately be the supporting cast for Paul Goldschmidt. I I don't know where it's coming from. Yeah, from 2000 to 2011 in Pujols' career, it was protection around this guy. It was making sure that nobody, it was making sure somebody had to pitch to Pujols because it was going to be problematic if not. Roland, Edmonds, Larry Walker, Lance Berkman, all of these guys. Cardinals haven't done that with Paul Goldschmidt, and they're hoping Dylan Carlson can be that, but you got to put some protection around that guy if you want to succeed like the way you, like you've done in the past. Yeah, I just hope they're willing to, because if you get articles like this, because it, it's natural to wonder. We've done a lot of it on this show. We, we've heard about it locally. We've heard about it nationally. There is obvious reasons to connect the Cardinals to this 2022 class. But if the Cardinals get to next offseason, and we... I can't crush them until they get there and don't do anything, right. but we got to talk about it. If if the Cardinals get to that class and do not do anything while this offseason kind of standing pat and bring back Wayno, bring back Yachty, maybe adding a relatively insignificant bat, well, that's that's when Cardinals fans, I think, would officially kind of start jumping off a board. That's, that is when you would hear the criticism being louder than it has maybe been in 30 years here in St. Louis towards the the front office. And I, I hope that they are understanding of that because there is a little bit of a changing of the tune, I think, within the fan base. They're expecting something more, and that has to eventually be able to come to fruition. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Ben Heisler, our sports betting analyst for Sports Illustrated, is going to join us coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Let's dive into the junk drawer, though, here to get us started. What is your favorite condiment, Ferrario? Glad you said condiment because I was worried where you were going with this. Um, I would never ask the other alternative. Is garlic considered a condiment? No. no. Okay, well, I use, <laughs> Absolutely it as, I use it as a condiment as what? an Italian. Oh, yeah, I put garlic on everything. Like what? What is the what is the strangest thing that you probably put? Hot Are dog? you talking about like raw garlic? Uh, yeah, like I will pound or chop up garlic and put it on, or I will use the garlic that you can get at the store in a jar and you pour it. On, yeah, put it on hot dogs, put it on hamburgers. Oh man, it's, it's delicious. Just on top of it. Just on top, man. It's a garlic thing, I guess. I don't know. It's You're an, an interesting duck, man. It's, it's an Italian thing. Uh, I would say, I would say mustard's probably my favorite condiment. Mustard. Yeah, mustard. 
I'm a barbecue bar- sauce Hold guy. up. Ranch. No, I can't believe I forgot this. Ranch I use as... Ranch is disgusting. Everything. And anybody You're, who likes it is... Well, welcome to being butchered before we even get to one gotta go today. <laughs> right. So I'm a barbecue sauce guy with a close second being hot sauce. You put hot sauce barbecue on just yeah. about anything and I'm, I'm good to go. I'm go ranch, hot barbecue, but okay. Iron Eagle is a tremendous play-by-play man. Yep. A fantastic play-by-play man. He was on the Dan Lebitard show the other day. And he was asked about, I don't know how the conversation got here, condiments, naturally. And he said, it's not that I don't like them. It's that I've never ingested a condiment before. There's a distinction between those two, and I just don't eat condiments. He was then asked, okay, well, then what do you do with French fries? You know, because naturally when you're eating French fries, some people eat them with hot sauce. Some people eat them with barbecue, ketchup, ranch, you could ranch any of the above, right? <laughs> he said, I dip them in salt. You put salt in. I feel like if you need the whole motion of dipping, you go ahead and do that. I don't feel the need to dip, though. A lot of dip references in there. I feel like we have officially arrived at the place where what I need to do to get to the top of the broadcasting industry is to have some sort of a weird food thing. Well, you do. You don't like ranch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't feel like that is <laughs> super weird. It's up there. Mel Kiper Jr. eats pumpkin pie literally every day. Okay. Every single day, he will eat a slice of pumpkin pie. Hey, if I made the money that Mel Kuyper makes, I'd eat pumpkin pie every day, too. Jim Nance has recently told a story about how he likes his toast burnt so bad that he used to have to send it back every time that he would go out for breakfast. That's disgusting. And you know that meme or the, the picture that has gone out on social media, right? Of mm-hmm. like, how do you like your coffee? How do you like your toast? And you can put it from basically not toasted at all to black. Yep. He printed that picture out and now takes it to any diner that he goes to and shows them, I want the one that's black. That way they know exactly how toasted he wants it. And now we know Iron Eagle doesn't eat condiments on anything. This I- is the secret to success. Success in our industry. Iron Eagle is going to have a lot of kidney stones in his future if he's eating all of this salt. I would agree with that. I mean, I'm waiting for the broadcaster to come out with what we talked about a couple of days ago and that says, I only eat raw meat sandwiches. Like, who is that crazy cat right now? Oh, there's got to be somebody, right? Yeah. Like, I know, um, what's his face? Kevin Harlan is yeah. from Wisconsin. I wonder if his family eats the raw meat sandwiches for, for, um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, holidays. You gotta think so. All right. I mean, he's a he's, God, a, he's one of the best. Really broad, like. He's one of the best broadcasters. BK. It this means he's got to do something different. We've got to find our thing. Okay. The only way that we can get to the top of this industry, Ferrario, yeah. is if we start having really weird food decisions. Okay. Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. Let's see the weirdest things that people can tell us what we need to start eating to take us to that next level. What do you do? Six five seven eight zero. That is really weird. Yeah. That everybody makes fun of you when it comes to your food. Hit, hit us with it. BK and I eating. will. Find one uh, to uh, challenge ourselves with. How about Ferrario, that? What do you have for okay, us today, buddy? I'm going to uh, I'm going to step on this ground very delicately because the man I'm about to talk to I know can kick my ass. Like plain and simple. Okay. We all love Chris Long here in St. Louis, right? The former St. Louis Ram, the Super Bowl champion. So much for the community in St. Louis. Well, now I got a little bone to pick with Chris okay. because we all talked yesterday about Frank Ragnow, who talked about how he fractured his throat, basically playing with a fractured throat and did want to come off the field. And Chris Long tweeted last night, checkmate hockey players, referencing the fact that hockey players are the toughest athletes out there, which I would second agree with. I've seen an awful lot. 
Chris Long, however, disagrees with it. Here's my thing. I've seen hockey players play with punctured lungs. I've seen hockey players play with broken ribs. I've seen hockey players die on the ice and come back or even force themselves to come back. I've seen guys take skates to the neck, BK, and continue to skate no matter what a football player goes through. And I respect the hell out of them. I don't think you will ever be on the hockey player level of just absurd athlete that will fight through anything. No, (laughs) it will never happen. We know how this goes. First of all, he's fighting a losing battle. Yep. And I think he knew that the moment that he tweeted this out. I'm assuming he just needed a little something to do last night. I bought into it. Jamie Rivers tweeted back at him. Come on, Chris, get on the 101 ESPN fast lane to bust your chops over this. Hope you're well, my friend. And then attached a story of Bergeron suffering a torn rib cartilage in game four of the finals, a broken rib on his left side in game five, and then separating his shoulder and a punctured lung in game six. And they won that Stanley Cup, by the way. And Patrice Bergeron was a MVP of that series. And he ended up in the hospital following game six, spending three more days in that hospital. And for I will never, ever agree with a person who says hockey players aren't the toughest athletes out there. And I am with Jamie Rivers. They're insane people. They are. And they're, they're absolutely. Yeah. And that is not to say that football players are not insane people. They are. There are just degrees yeah. to all of this, right? I am at the very bottom. It's like a scale of one to ten. It goes from a scale of BK to hockey player. Did that <laughs> hurt doing that? It did not. <laughs> it did a little bit. It's scale of BK to hockey player. I am the weakest. Hockey players are the strongest. And football players are like somewhere in the middle, but certainly closer to the yeah. Hockey players than they are. Yeah, look, if we're if we're doing the echelon here, hockey, and then I would put football players. I'd put soccer players up there as well because those guys are just psychoing themselves, taking cleats to the foot. Then I would put, boy, it's tough. How would you do it? Baseball, basketball, basketball, baseball. Probably basketball, baseball. Yeah, they're they're kind of in yeah. there together. They're, they're pretty close together, yeah. but you're never going to get into the realm of hockey, so just stay away from it. I will say, though, one of the all-time stories was Ronnie Lott sacrificing his finger to keep playing. He, like, cut off the tip of his finger to continue yeah. playing. And that yeah. Those guys are the exception. And by the way, Frank Ragnow is from Victoria, Minnesota, which I consider Canadian. Sure. So now I know why he went back out there and... This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll get back into the Alex Dean announcement in about 10 minutes or so. Officially deciding, if you're just tuning in, Alex Dean going to call it a career. Deciding to retire this year. Alex Dean, a throwback player who certainly set the example for the Blues over the last decade or so. We'll get into that coming up in about 10 minutes. But right now, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Our guy, Ben Heisler, sports betting analyst for Sports Illustrated, joining us here on the show. Hi, so always appreciate the time. How are you doing today, man? What's up, BK? What's up, Ferrari? How are you guys? Oh, we are fantastic. So let's kick things off with you with what I think is the game of the week. And, of course, talking about Chiefs versus Saints. Heiss, I don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be for the Saints this week. I assume that it is going to continue being Taysom Hill. But given the way that the Chiefs have played over the last five weeks or so, everything has been close. Do you expect something similar in this one? I mean, it's hard to argue against it, right? You have two offenses that have the ability to be explosive at times. And 
you know, occasionally a little bit more stagnant for the Saints, and they've really sort of transformed how they want to play over the last several weeks where Taysom Hill has been the starter. At first, it was no opportunities in any sort of the passing game, and then slowly he started to open things up a little bit more. Uh, tough loss on the road against the Philadelphia Eagles. To me, it kind of felt more enigmatic as opposed to sort of lack of preparation or not really understanding how to scout Jalen Hurts. Uh, but what, I, what I'm interested in this week is that the, the Chiefs have won five straight games, right? But they've also, I mean, they've won more than five straight games, but in those last five games, they failed to cover the spread in all five games. And it's pretty remarkable to me because this is a team that has the ability every week um, to frankly blow out their opponents, especially ones like the Dolphins who have played really well all year, but just bizarre interceptions and costly turnovers from Patrick Mahomes allowed them to hang around. And then the second half when they did have that big lead, uh, Miami continues to sneak back in, kicking that field goal. So I, I expect it to be another close game. Anytime you're in New Orleans, it's always going to be a little bit more difficult. And, and knowing what Taysom Hill has actually been capable of in expanding Michael Thomas on the outside, uh, we're seeing more of Alvin Kamara in a role that I think more fantasy owners are comfortable with. This should be a back-and-forth game, and I'm really excited for it. Speaking of fantasy heights, I would imagine tonight's matchup, Chargers and Raiders, is a fantasy football, if you have any of those players, dream come true, because uh, both defenses seem to allow a lot of passing yards and a lot of touchdowns when they match well, unless up. Unless you're a Keenan Allen owner, what the hell's going on? Hey, I'm a Nelson Aguilar yeah. owner, Heiss, and no Henry Ruggs means I'm in good shape. Yeah, I think if you're a Nelson Aguilar fantasy manager, you should be in good shape, but you're right. Keenan Allen currently dealing with a bit of a questionable tag. Mike Williams probably not going to play it tonight. Um, you're looking at somebody like maybe Jalen Guyton has a possibility to be a, a top wide receiver for the, the Chargers this week, maybe a lot more Hunter Henry. I still think you'll see some points because both of these secondaries have been torched consecutively over the course of the season. And just points seem to fly uh, over in Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. So I, I'm excited for the matchup. I, I think it's disappointing if Keenan Allen won't be at 100% and if Mike Williams is out because I think that helps elevate Justin Herbert to, to quarterback one type of status. So again, just, just monitor some of these injuries, but I, I do think you'll still see some points. It wouldn't put it this way. If it's between Justin Herbert and, you know, some back end quarterback, like if you're trying to decide between Justin Herbert and, and Gardner Minshew, uh, you <laughs> oh, yeah. on the road at Baltimore, uh, listen, Min we saw what happened to Baltimore the last couple of weeks. Wide receivers have the third most amount of fantasy points against them over the last month, but uh, I wouldn't bench Herbert unless you're talking about, a guy that's in a very similar tier. I still think he'll be able to move the ball on them. Heist, for one more fantasy question, I know for a lot of people, their, their playoffs start this week. Can they trust Jalen Hurts as a starting quarterback this week against the Cardinals? And if so, how good of a start is he? I mean, he was a very good start last week. You know, he ended up, ended up having a touchdown through the air, threw for 167 yards, and he rushed 18 times to go over 106 yards. You know, from a running back perspective, that would be a very solid game, even without a rushing touchdown. He ended up finishing with about 23 fantasy points in PPR leagues. Um, against Arizona, they're, they're so enigmatic on the defensive side of the ball. They have been better at home, and now having a full week of tape on Jalen Hurts, I think, makes a difference. The teams that Arizona has actually struggled against uh, have been teams that, that deal with maybe a little bit more motion, uh, quarterbacks that get the ball out quick. That's not necessarily Jalen Hurts. I think about the game that Jared Goff had against them in Arizona a couple of weeks ago where they really struggled, but you saw them look terrific uh, against a mobile quarterback in, in Daniel Jones. And, you know, frankly, the, the Giants offense had been starting to pick themselves up 
Uh, but Arizona needed that game just as badly as the Giants did. And so I think they can continue that defensive momentum now that they have a full week of tape on Jalen Hurts. Um, I, I think he's a solid floor play because he's going to run, but I just don't think the upside is where it was at maybe a week or so ago, knowing the potential for garbage time and knowing that there wasn't a lot of tape on it. Look, Heiss, our buddy BK is just throwing a lot of dirt at Mitch Trubisky and the Chicago Bears, even though they continue to find ways to win. I'm a little surprised, though, that this week it's a plus three for the Bears against the Vikings, and a lot of people are selecting the Bears over the Vikings. Am I reading the Vikings wrong, or do we really go into this week looking at the Bears with a victory? I, I think they can win, and the, the situation in Chicago is, is albeit complicated. I I mean, I didn't think they were going to beat Houston until maybe a little bit later on in the week when I saw all the different injuries on the Houston side of the ball. Um, and then you could tell from the very beginning that the Bears' defense were, was actually locked in. I, I thought they quit uh, the week before against Detroit, guys. And so I thought, all right, the Bears are punting on the season. Matt Nagy's lost the locker room, lost the team. Um, I, I thought they were going to have a, a full-on arrest development-style fire sale. <laughs> Um, but they're they're still in the mix of it, and the best way for them to remain in the playoff race is to go ahead and beat Minnesota. Frankly, that that game against the Vikings at home on Monday night was sort of the pinnacle of disaster, and they've improved substantially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Trubisky, what, what, I, I think the the big thing is when it comes to why the Bears can win is when Matt Nagy gave a play calling uh, and he moved it over to Bill Lazor, who's the offensive coordinator, they basically said, okay, Trubisky has not picked up this Kansas City-style Andy Reid-type offense, right? Because he just doesn't see the field, and when you don't see the field um, and you don't go to your initial reads and and you give stuff away, you're not going to be successful and you have a bad offensive line. So what they decided to do was basically try to cut the field in half for Trubisky. They move the pocket a bunch. They put him on the run. They take care of his athleticism. They get the ball out quick. And it's worked a lot better for him because it's playing to his skill set. They're playing to Mitch and what he does well as opposed to him trying to play to this you know, great offensive system that works when you have Patrick Mahomes and not with Mitchell Trubisky. So as long as that continues, the Vikings are susceptible, both in the passing game, both in the running game. Yes, going to the Dome in Minnesota I think makes it a little bit more challenging. But what have you seen lately from the Vikings that would indicate that if they can continue to, to keep up, you know, the bears offense was the problem the last time they played, not the defense. And so now that the defense is playing with a little bit more confidence, it's still a very good defense that can limit Kirk cousins and the Vikings for normally as good as they are typically are at home have not been bad this year. So I do think the bears can win. And I do think they can cover final question that I've got for you. Heist. We've been asking you the MVP conversation over the last few weeks. I think it actually became a real conversation last weekend. Right now, Aaron Rodgers leads the NFL with 39 touchdowns. He's thrown just four picks on the season Patrick Mahomes at 33 touchdowns five picks on the year are we starting to see this conversation swing more in the direction of Aaron Rodgers in your opinion probably I think they might see the number of touchdowns and I also think they might see uh and try to to have the conversation of okay if you took out one of these quarterbacks on their respective team and went to the backup um would the results be similar I, I don't think they would be you know neither of these teams would be a juggernaut but um, I, I do think Chad Henney can run a fairly competent offense with Andy Reid and the rest of the playmakers there. That's not to take away from the type of Mahomes season because it's been fantastic. Um, I, I'd still probably lean Rodgers. If I had an actual vote, it would be Derrick Henry because I have a 100-to-1 ticket on <laughs> Derrick Henry to win MVP. Um, but, I, I mean, you can't give it to him. Also considering that Christian McCaffrey didn't sniff an MVP after 1,000 yards on the ground, 1,000 yards through the air, 
Um, it, it was just a far more complete season just on a worse team. And Lamar Jackson was a unanimous winner. So I, I do think it's worth a conversation. Mahomes is still the favorite at a lot of different sports books. Um, and I'll also be curious as to whether or not both of these guys, if they play in week 16, week 17, if they have the number one spot in their conferences locked up and whether that opens up the door for somebody like Derrick Henry, if he gets above 2000 rushing yards and he has to carry his team into the postseason. But I, I do think right now I probably slightly side with Rogers. He's Ben Heisler, sports betting analyst and fantasy football analyst for sports illustrated. You can find his work there also on Twitter at Benny Heist. Ben, always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and the family. Have a happy holidays, and we'll talk with you again soon. You got it, guys. Happy holidays. Looking forward to doing this again very soon. Absolutely. That has been Heisler here on 101 ESPN. It's 115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm glad he brought up Derrick Henry there at the end because as much as we've talked about the MVP conversation right now, right? And I do think it is going to, it's going to come down to the wire of Mahomes versus Rogers. Those are your two candidates right now. Anybody else that is third, don't worry about that. It's, it's those two guys versus the field offensive player of the year though, is going to be a fascinating discussion. It's got to be Henry. It's got to be Henry. I think Travis Kelsey is working his way into the conversation. Even if, even if Henry exceeds 2000 rushing yards this season. I, I don't know because what what Travis Kelsey is doing is quite literally unprecedented. He is leading the league in receiving yards right now as a tight end. And I know he doesn't play your traditional tight end spot. He split out wide more than most tight ends do. But he has 1,250 yards on the season. He has more receiving yards than any other player in all of football. He's on pace this year for 1,500 yards and 11 receiving touchdowns. I, I'm, I'm being serious when I say no other tight end has ever done this. Yeah. So other running backs have rushed for 2000 yards before, you know, it, it, I do wonder if they decide, you know what, this is unprecedented. What Derrick Henry has done deserves recognition. I'm, both of them are deserving of the candidacy, but I think those are probably your top two candidates right now. Although what I think probably ends up happening is one of the quarterbacks gets the MVP and the other one gets, gets offensive, offensive player of the yep. year. Makes Unfortunately, sense. I wish that wasn't the case, but we know how this works. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Give us four options. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. That's coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, the Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. How are you going to remember the Alex Steen era in St. Louis? We'll give you our memories. Here are some of yours coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Was at that game when Steen had the OT winner against Los Angeles. And I'll never forget it. Thanks for everything, Steiner. Best of luck in retirement. That was Joe on what he's going to remember most from Alex Steen. If you missed it earlier today, the news of the day, Alex Steen has decided to call it a career, suffered a back injury last season, ultimately decided it was time for him to go ahead and hang it up. He is going to go down as one of the more productive blues players in the history of the franchise. He is fourth in blues history in games played ninth in goals, sixth in assist fifth in points. And I think the one that he's going to remember the most, he is behind only Brett hole and Alex Petrangelo for blues players with the most playoff games in the history of the franchise. He played in 91 playoff games for the blues. That's probably how he's going to be remembered most here in St. Louis. You know, it's so interesting to BK because the way that I remember Alexander Steen is a guy who flew under the radar. I think he's a guy that a lot of people don't talk about. But if you look at the Blues 
if if you look at the Blues history since he was acquired in 2008, this is where he ranks in Blues from 2008 until now. Second most in goals, second most in assists, first in points, second in even strength goals, first in power play points, first in shorthanded goals, most in game-winning goals. So in the time that he has been a St. Louis Blue, he has been better than Tarasenko. He has been better than Perron, than O'Reilly, than Schwartz, than Shen, than Petrangelo. He's been better than all of these guys. But again, when you talk about Mount Rushmore of Blues from 2008 until now, I don't know if people put Alexander Steen's name on that. It's it's kind of it's the discussion that we have so much about Frank Gore in the NFL, right? I, I know people will get on to me about that, but it's the longevity. True. And there is listen, there's a reason why I can disagree with it all I want, but there's a reason why Frank Gore is going to get into the Hall of Fame. Because it's nearly impossible to do what he's done. He literally has a son right now that's playing college football. Like, I'm not exaggerating. That is happening right now. Meanwhile, Frank Gore plays running back and is starting for an NFL team at like age 40. It, it never it, it's impossible to do that. Yeah. And to get back to Alex Steen, what he has done, the way that he plays for him to play with that kind of longevity is nearly impossible. I mean, we talked with Joey Vitale earlier today, and if you missed that conversation, highly recommend checking it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the 101ESPN app. It's presented by I Promise. He brought up the fact that the playoff run in 2019 broke down Alex Steen's body because of the way that he had to play on that fourth line. He was such a crucial component to what the Blues are doing that he he never really was able to respond to that. His body couldn't get itself back to where he wanted it to be. And so you look at him and the player that he was, the mindset that he had, he personified everything that Doug Armstrong wants a player to have on the ice. So I wanted to hear from you guys. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. How are you going to remember the Alex Steen era here in St. Louis? Let's hear from Matthew. I grew up in Colorado, and when the Avalanche came there, I fell in love with hockey. And obviously, those teams were great, and it was amazing as a kid to experience that. When I moved to St. Louis and became a Blues fan, Alexander Steen was absolutely my favorite Blue. Uh, my greatest sports memory, hands down, is watching the Blues win the Stanley Cup. And the picture I have of him holding the cup with his amazingly sexy smile is my most prized possession. St. Louis loves him. And I love Matthew. I would uh, bet a thousand dollars that Alexander Steen has never been told he's got a sexy smile. We heard Joe Vitale <laughs> just tell him that he was had a terrible smile in his hockey career. I mean, he hits it on the head there. I mean, Alexander Steen for for fans that were young at the time that he was acquired and grew up in that era. He did become one of the fan favorites because of what he did on the ice. But I think it is very necessary to talk about what he did off the ice, BK, because he became a fan favorite from what he did for the Blues and for the city of St. Louis. I mean, you heard Joe talk about the kind of guy he was calling up people, checking in on them Uh, after the Stanley Cup playoffs. Steiner bought uh, every one of the broadcasters a bottle of wine, uh, which goes to show you his gratitude for those guys. But it's the community, too. I mean, this guy's always at hospitals at Christmas time with the Blues players. He's always doing different charity events for this blues team and you give the guy credit because that's not an easy thing to do when you're paid nhl player and i know we make that seem light 
but you have so many duties in terms of on ice, practicing, training, being around the team, making sure you're there. But then on top of it, you've got a family to deal with. But he never once blinked at the fact of going out into the public and being with fans and showing how much the Blues meant to him. So you got to give Alexander Steen credit. That's why people fell in love well, with think him. Think about your own personal life, right? Like we all we all have stuff that falls through the cracks. Like I, I could be better at calling friends and family, right? We could all look to what Alex Steen does where he keeps in touch. I mean, Joe, Joey's example is the perfect thing, right? It is for for Steen, a small thing. For Joey, was a huge thing and something that he's never going to forget. Yeah. And Steen's really good with that kind of stuff. Right. And that's the that's something that, frankly, this team's going to miss next year. They they don't have him around, and it's going to be different without him in that room. He was a significant part of that leadership group, and you hear that all the time. But now, as as he retires, you're going to start hearing more and more of the stories about the things that he did behind the scenes. And I think fans are going to be led inside a little bit on just how significant of a piece Alex Steen was to what the Blues wanted to accomplish as a team. Yeah. He's going to go down as as one of the most productive Blues ever. He's going to go down as one of the most appreciated Blues ever, both in terms of the guys in that locker room and the guys out of it. There's also something different about a player like Steen because when, when you talk to athletes when you talk to whether it be football players basketball players hockey it doesn't matter there are certain guys that they just love and respect in a different way yeah steen's one of those guys when you when you talk to joey vitale or jamie rivers or one of the guys that actually played with against or watched him closely yeah they speak about him differently than they do most other players and there's a reason why it's because all of the things that we don't see not what he does during the game but everything else Steen was amazing at those things. And so it we don't always see all of it, but we're starting to hear more about it. And Steen was the guy that really was able to bring all of that to the table for the Blues. Yeah. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. We normally do it on Friday. This is my Friday, so we're going to do it on a Thursday. One got to go coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of one got to go. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. Jamie Rivers in studio with us for this one. Jamie, how you doing, bud? I'm good, man. I'm always ready for these. Got to battle you two numbskulls as you come up with your crazy, crazy picks that have to go. Well, BK already pissed off St. Louis saying he doesn't like ranch dressing, so he's already on a fast road. Again? I've already said do that. You, uh, let me ask a question before now. we get started. Hey, Thanksgiving. You, yes. Do you pick things in order, like of how you're going to tick? <laughs> like, I hate Thanksgiving. Okay. Now I hate ranch dressing. Oh, and by the way, I hate St. Louis-style pizza. What? Hey, Are you we don't have to worried? repeat that one. That, that one actually got people mad. We don't have, we don't have to get into that it's one. It's on the rundown basically every day. How can BK piss yeah. off St. Louis today? Like, no, are you comes ever at me slow naturally. walking to your car as you leave here looking over both shoulders? Oh, no, that's every day. Not just from here, like everywhere. <laughs> that's just I go normal. to the grocery store and I'm like looking both ways to make sure that I don't hear anybody saying my name. I'm good. Anytime somebody out in public goes, aren't you BK from the radio? That's when you I get defensive. Oh, jeez. I'd be like, nope. Nope, it's, that's some other guy. Nope. It's like when you see somebody that, that has guy like over a there quick is, motion. He points to Ferrario. That guy is. Yeah, they know better. My nose. Well, 
Oh, wow. Really? He went there? We're going there. What? We can't? Wow. You saying that I lost my sense of smell and you can still smell? That's exactly what I'm smelling. I smell what uh, I'm cooking. That's a terrible All misuse right, one of your go. Equipment. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. This one comes from the 314. One's got to go. Alcohol. <laughs> None junk for food. TV shows or movies. Alcohol, junk food, TV shows or movies. Jamie, which one's got to go? Well, alcohol's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, that's kind of funny. Need to say that. And junk food, in my opinion, goes kind of hand in hand with alcohol. Uh, because the more you drink, then you're like slopping around pizza and you, you know, like, come on. Right. I, with the TV shows, I'm way more into TV shows than I am movies. And so if it's a toss up between those two, I'll get rid of movies. Cause I feel like TV shows, we got seasons we can watch and you can pick a TV series that matches the kind of movie that you'd like to see. So for me and in my life, the way it is, movies, you got to go. Trash take already, Jamie. Congrats. Uh, TV shows got to go. Look, you, well, right. you're a Mr. Office, right? I am Mr. Yeah, Office. I was about to say, you're the guy that comes in every day. You're like, hey, have you guys seen this yeah, new show? It's a new fantastic. Season? It's fantastic. But look, there are too many great movies to get rid of that I could not survive without. I can't survive without The Godfather, without Rockies, without Goodfellas. Uh, there's plenty of movies to go around. I've already seen those. Okay. Am I allowed to say The Godfather a little overrated? If you, get, if you want to get stabbed, yeah, you might be careful saying that, but I don't. I wouldn't disagree with you entirely. Well, well, I can't. Good, I, good movie. I can't threaten to stab Jamie overrated. either. So, jeez, <laughs> great. No, uh, TV show's got to go. Uh, the correct answer here is junk food, of course. Uh, Mr. Health over here. here. How are you going to booze up and not eat junk food? Mr. Oh, hey, Health over here. Let me go get my here. kale salad yeah. after I just crushed yeah, a bottle I'm gonna of Jack. I'm going to go run after all of my vodka What's that I took you? in. Listen, uh, I, I can find other things to eat. I'm certainly not getting rid of alcohol. That's that's the number one <laughs> option here. Yeah. And TVs and movies, like when sports aren't on, how are we passing the time? We just chilling at home? Come on. You got to have both of those things. Read that, a book every once in a while? Okay, yeah, that right there, that kind of stuff gets you fired. Don't ever say that again. Nerd alert! <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for One Gotta Go. One Gotta Go Cold Cuts Edition. Oh. Ham, salami, turkey, or roast beef? Ham, salami, turkey, or roast beef? One's gotta if go. Any of you say salami? We'll start we will with get you, Ferrario. Stabbed. Which one's gotta go? Let's hear you then. Um, I'm gonna get rid of roast beef. Mostly, look, roast beef and turkey are kind of both at the bottom right now because ham is number two behind salami. I don't know. Roast beef's just not that great. You can season turkey. You can go smoked turkey. You can go sweet turkey. You can go spiced turkey. Can't do much with roast beef. Okay, I'm so rid of the, I'm getting rid of the RB. All right, so to clarify things, this is like the cold cuts, right? Like Correct. I'm not actually getting rid of roast. I literally, beef. quite literally, said cold cuts edition. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, because his answer confused me a little bit. We got what you. What else is he's new? Smoking We're here for you, buddy. Now and all that. I'm like, wait a minute. Well, you don't smoke cold cuts? Well, I don't know. I buy them at the store. They can smoke them. Anyways, you smoke them. If you got them. Speaking of smoking something, Alex, take a break. Anyways. Um, <laughs> I would get rid of, <laughs> I'd get rid of the roast beef as well. As far as cold cuts go, the roast beef, it's a eh for me. The other ones I like. <laughs> what are you going to say, salami? Here we go. Oh, Jesus, beer comes. That's two for two right now, man. <laughs> I, Don't do it. I say am it. Italian. I swear I am. Say it. And I he doesn't like olives either. Out with it. Salami's got to go. Oh, oh my God. It's not good. It's not good. I'm what sorry. Are you it's doing? not good. It's not good. I'm not a fan. Honestly, the only one that I like out of these four is turkey. It's just the the worst of the other bad options. You would. 
I'm not a fan of ham. It's part of probably why I don't love Thanksgiving all that much. Roast beef is Wait, eh. You said ham, right? Yeah. Turkeys. Isn't Thanksgiving. that Easter? People people eat tur- uh, ham as well, right? No, they don't. No, they don't. Ham's Easter. Easter and Christmas. Yeah. Ham in general. Not, <laughs> not all that good. Yeah, we're what? still getting rid of salami. To, to your defense, some people do ham. I just had to say I was no about to you. Say, I'm pretty sure this is a thing. Like his face People is go like... to the honey baked ham factory, they pick up the ham, they bring it on, they roast the turkey, and you're good to go. His face was like, what? No anyway. free ads, by the way. <laughs> place is good. Ham has got to go, obviously. They do some turkeys and the honey baked ham thing. Mm, it is delicious. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for one's got to go. What one's got to What kind of Italian are you, man? Not a good one, apparently. Olives, Godfather, salami? Jesus. One's got to go. Little Betty edition. Little Betty? Huh? Little Betty? Debbie? Little Debbie? Little Debbie. Yeah. Excuse me. Betty, Debbie. Like, you can understand. What did Little it's, Betty do to it's, you? It's Debbie's cousin, Little Betty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're the same. The Dollar Store version. Related, but, you know, good friends. N- nutty butter, honey buns, <laughs> oatmeal cream pies, or zebra cakes. Two of those four are what I call my wife. Okay. So what? let's go over this again. I'm the learning so cakes, much more about you. Nutty butter, honey buns. Well, you can, listen, you can never get rid of a good cream pie. That's for sure. I mean, no it's oatmeal who, cream pie. Who doesn't like a good cream pie? Oatmeal um, cream pie. So, yeah, and as far that. as the uh, nutter butter is concerned. You're, you're trying the little, little Debbie's. <laughs> that's little what Betty's. she said. I, what? I'm oatmeal just talk, cream pies. I'm just saying the cream pie's got, nobody gets rid of cream pies. Definitely oatmeal cream pies. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, the nutter butter for me on that list, because like I said, the other ones are sticking around. I'm going to get rid of the oatmeal cream pie. Love cream pies, but hey, nutty bars are like the the uh, go-to when you need something quick with the peanut butter and the chocolate. Do you like the cream pies, or do you like giving them as gifts? No, I only like to eat the cream pies. Um, <laughs> the zebra cakes are, are power ranking number one, and then honey buns are go-to breakfast. So yeah, cream pies, cream pies got to gotta go. <laughs> zebra cakes are trash. They're not what good. What the hell? <laughs> They're so bad. So bad. What I don't hell? know why anybody would say that they're going to keep them around. It's clearly the answer Jamie here. Jamie can't even breathe right now to defend me. Yeah, well, I think there's a reason why. He's I been hanging out with old Debbie for too long. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. I'm just getting destroyed. Every week we do this segment. Every and take. I, I assume that it's going to be better. I assume that Man, it is going to be better. Every take has been horrible here. And then from the 314, I've officially become disappointed in BK's life decisions. Just a disappointment for all of his parents, I would imagine. I, there's only two of them, but I yes, all of them for sure. That's good to know. Also, as a proud Italian-American, BK's Italian card has officially been taken away. Amen. Amen. I don't think it's time for that. All yet. three of the things you've said today deserve kneecappings. They, they deserve a little bit of a, maybe buzz the tower on you a little, but no. I wouldn't do a full kneecap. The olives deserve the buzz to the tower. The uh, godfather okay. and salami deserve the that, rest. That is something that a lot of Italians would agree with me on. The uh, olive thing is, it's not good. I don't it's not know. Good. I, every Italian I know cannot go without olives. A lot of them won't voice their opinion, no. Like because of this. Yeah, you know? He's I'm brave. Willing. I'm, he's you very brave. You cannot call me afraid. <laughs> I'm trying. He's, he's very, very brave. Here. Very you brave. You can call me a lot of a lot of names. You cannot call me afraid. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I want to be very clear. This comes from the text line from the 314. One's got to go according to the text line. Hated Cardinals edition. John Mosaloc, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, or Matt Carpenter. One's got to go. Hated Cardinals edition. Mo, O'Neill, Bader, or Carp. 
Let's start with you, Ferrario. You said hated Cardinals? According to the text oh, line, wow. they said hated it's very, Cardinals. Very aggressive. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't hate any of these four people. Uh, get rid of hatred. Eh, I'd get rid of Matt Carpenter, though. <laughs> I, 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 look. Tyler O'Neill's not that great. Do we get the savings from his money? Yeah. Well, if you're getting rid of him, right? I don't know. Not until next year, though. No. I think we'd still be we'd on the hook. This, this wasn't a DFA one got to go. This is a one got to go. It doesn't exist anymore. He's All gone. Right. The money's gone. He's well, got to go. that's the case, I think he's clearly the option. But let's operate under, under the assumption that, like Jamie said, you just don't have to pay the $18 million. Let's just say, yeah. Okay, I'm still getting rid of him. Okay, yeah. That, that, to me, <laughs> look, Sorry, Matt. here's where I am with this, guys, is... Uh, with Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, I mean, I feel like we have to, you know, we still have to see what we have in them. And as far as John Mosey, like, I'd like to be patient with him for a little while. And uh, so, uh, Matt Carpenter, <laughs> you got to go. Again, we don't hate you, Matt. Nobody hates you. Yeah, let's be honest. We oh. can go ahead and sweep this one. Oh. <laughs> a clean sweep! That's how BK redeems himself. Never had. You guys know that I'm the president of the Harrison Bader fan club. It's true, you are. You, by doing so, I literally mean I just think he's a capable major league player, which you apparently do has become... Him? More money. Extend is it? You that, did try to give him like a like four-year extension. Dollars. That was kind of weird. Do that. <laughs> that was kind of weird. I, I did say that. I still believe that. They should extend him. Um, John Mosellock, despite some of the recent moves, is still a really good president of baseball operations. There's 20 teams across baseball that would love to have him in charge of their baseball operations. Tyler O'Neill is frustrating, but there is at least some upside there. We know where Matt Carpenter is. You guys talked with Matt Holliday yesterday. He said you need a thousand major league at bats to know what a player is. Well, we've seen the last thousand major yes. league at bats from Matt Carpenter. We know what he is now. So I I don't know that there's a whole lot of upside left. I think that's the spot that I would most like to upgrade for the Cardinals. So I would go with Matt Carpenter as the one that's got to go. He's Jamie Rivers. He's a Blues superstar defenseman, or once was. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Guys, I remember Alex Steen for his overtime goal against the Kings where he stole the puck from Jonathan Quick. I was actually on a date that night and uh, the girl didn't like hockey and went to ask me a question in overtime and I missed the goal. And that was the end of that relationship. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We've been remembering the career for Alex Steen all day long. If you missed it earlier today, the news of the day, Alex Steen has decided to retire. The Blues announced that earlier this morning. You're going to have plenty of that coming up on the fast lane, plenty of a reaction. I know you guys have Jackman coming up at 2.15. You have Doug Armstrong at 4.30. What else do you guys have coming up today, Stoltz? I believe we have Steve Ott as well in the 3 o'clock hour. Fantastic. So we got, I mean, it's going to be wall-to-wall blues, wall-to-wall Alexander Steen, and we'll, awesome. we'll pay tribute now to the former blue. Fantastic. Looking forward to that, all of that coming up from 2 to 6. All right, Stoltz, I know you guys are going to have plenty of stuff on Alex Steen coming up. I wanted to get a couple of thoughts on football for the weekend. I'm out tomorrow, so I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Chiefs Saints, clearly the game of the weekend. There's not a whole lot of great matchups around the league. I think it's going to be Taysom Hill again for New Orleans. Yeah. Do you think that with Taysom at quarterback, the Saints can beat this Chiefs team? No. I don't think anybody could beat this Chiefs team. I think some teams can give them trouble. I thought Miami defensively 
gives Kansas City trouble. I, I thought they would Miami would cover that spread. They got a couple guys that can rush a passer. They got three good corners. Safeties are pretty disciplined. They have the elements. The question was going to be whether or not Tua could get into a shootout with Patrick Mahomes. He nearly did. And he nearly did. So I think there are elements from certain teams that give the Chiefs trouble. You know, the Raiders did an excellent job of rushing Patrick Mahomes in the first matchup at Arrowhead, and they did an outstanding job of protecting Derek Carr and giving him enough time to throw deep in the second matchup when they nearly beat beat uh, the Chiefs again. But other than that, no, I, I think the Saints defensively are, are very good. But Taysom Hill, if you gotta if you got to have... Taysom Hill put the ball in the air a bunch in the fourth quarter. Well, we, we saw what that looked like a week ago. If if you're if I'm Sean Payton this weekend, I have to get back to running the football consistently. I thought he got away from that against the Eagles. I have no idea what the game plan was against Jalen Hurts. They were running a lot of you know defensive end tackle twist where mm-hmm. the tackles got to bust out to the other. They set a soft edge and Jalen Hurts just took advantage of them. It was it was a really weird game plan. But the other thing that they, they the Saints did is they got away from Alvin Kamara. They got away from Latavius Murray and they put the ball in Taysom Hill's hands. If you're gonna if you're gonna beat good teams, especially a team like the Chiefs, you better run the ball consistently and try to keep Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines. If the Chiefs have any weaknesses right now, it's two things. Number one, their linebackers stink in coverage. They're terrible. They're slow, they're not good. Well, you know who could maybe exploit that a little bit? Some guy named Alvin Kamara. Going right across the middle and Texas routing them all day, right? Option routes right across the middle of the field, taking advantage of the lack of speed that the Chiefs have at linebacker. That's one thing. That's on the defensive side of the ball. On the offensive side of the ball, they already were without Mitchell Schwartz, their right tackle, who's a really, really good player. He's out. Mike Rimmers has been filling in for him. Mike Rimmers is also expected to be out this week with a back injury. And their left tackle, Eric Fisher, is also not practicing right now, wow. also with a back injury. So you're without your top three tackles, potentially, right now for the Chiefs. They are just devastated along the offensive line. They already are bad in the interior. Now they've got some guys on the outside that you don't want blocking for Patrick Mahomes. I, I'm i not going to pick the Chiefs to lose, but I would not be surprised if the Chiefs lose on Sunday. And that should not be an indication that they're not the team that we thought they were. They're just... This is a bad time for them to go up against that specific team. The Saints have a pretty good pass rush. They have the thing that takes advantage of what the Chiefs are struggling with, with their linebackers. Chiefs, by the way, without one of their other linebackers as well, Damian Wilson. It's a bad time for these two teams to meet for the Chiefs. Look, the the thing that you just just pointed out is the thing that every general manager should be concerned with each offseason. How many times can you win a one-on-one matchup up front? That's essentially what it what if you're going to just break football down to to its simplest form, how many times or how many matchups can you win def, defensive line offensive line one on one? Because if you if you have the matchup defensively where you've got multiple guys that need two blockers whether it's a guard and a tackle or a tight end and an offensive tackle you're in trouble offensively. So if the Chiefs have to commit extra blockers to to give Patrick Mahomes a shot, yeah, I think the Saints have every opportunity to upset them. Apples to apples, 
Chiefs are healthy. No, I don't, I don't think I don't think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to fold anybody. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's been BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Ferrario is going to be hosting tomorrow with Chris Kerber. I'll be out tomorrow and Monday. Save your celebration for another time. The fast lane, though, is coming up next. They've got a loaded show for you. Plenty to react to with Alex Steen uh, deciding to retire. They've got Doug Armstrong. They've got Jackman. They've got all kinds of stuff coming up from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. Mmm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I Promise.